Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. Today I am your host, Alex Jones, and I am joined by the absolutely amazing, the awesome Jamie, who is the only member of the Super Show who's managed to make it to every podcast this year so far. <laughs> Jamie, I would give you a pat on the back if you were in reaching distance. I can, try, I can do one of these. I can kind of give myself one, but I am so fat nowadays that even that, it's a bit of a stretch. But thank you very much. That's very gracious of you. Yes, 100% attendance record, and I'm proud to boast it. Um, if you are listening to this on a podcasting platform and you can't see us as the people who are watching on YouTube can, you would know that Chris is unfortunately not available today. I wasn't here last week because I was in lovely, sunny Kazakhstan. Um, it is very nice this time of year. I wasn't in Kazakhstan. Um, <laughs> un- unfortunately, I'm sure it is lovely. Uh, I had my, my house was riddled with COVID, so that's why I wasn't around for the podcast. But let's move away from those, um, <laughs> those, those sour messages and move towards some good ones because we are the Super Show. We're a, we're a gaming podcast. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. You can reach out to us at Super Show Pod. We are available on all the big podcasting platforms. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and we are on Paisley Radio every week, twice a week, in fact, Thursdays at 10 p.m. and repeated again on Mondays at 10 p.m. And that is the paisleyradio.com. Um, this week is going to be something a little bit different, a little bit special, because the world is not the same as it was last week. Things have changed. The gaming landscape has been renewed because someone, Microsoft, just dropped $70 billion um, to uh, buy out Activision Blizzard, which I'm sure no one saw coming, except for the Super Show podcast. Can I just put that out there right now? Because I believe that Chris mentioned last week, in fact, uh, that he could see this happening, which is um, pretty yeah. amazing, Jamie. The, um, thing, all the news this week is about Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. It was pretty spooky, yeah. Chris and I were sat there last week. We were talking about 2022 and all the crazy things that could happen. I think we were talking about Game Pass and PlayStation Spartacus and all that kind of stuff and speculating about the, I think we actually referred to them as crazy things that Microsoft could theoretically do. And it just so happened that Chris accurately guessed one of those crazy things by predicting uh, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Um and it's funny, like, I remember when we were planning for last week's episode, and even when you and I were planning for the week before that, there was what felt like a real shortage of news out there. Like, we were struggling a little bit to fill out the document that we worked from. We were thinking, what can we talk about here? We're going to have to talk about our Christmases and our New Year's and all the games we played. And now we've just had a drum bop, uh, a bomb dropped on us, where probably this might remain the biggest news story of the entire year. Uh, regardless, and we're of what not even out of January yet. exactly. And like I don't know, I was I was shivering, I was sweating, uh, <laughs> I had every single emotion you could possibly imagine uh, when I first read this news, and when I began to believe that this was actually real and not some horrible prank from a Twitter account that had tricked us all. Do you know what? I knew something exciting had happened because my WhatsApp group went absolutely mental and I hadn't seen the news. And suddenly I had this like message, 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 message. And it was all you guys sort of saying like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they've gone and bought Activision Blizzard. Um, so yeah, like you said, we've gone from uh, often a very lax or um, lackluster time in gaming news at the beginning of the year before we start to get some of the big titles start to drop, um, as we will see in February. Um, and they, yeah, we've had a giant story dropped right in our lap. So we thought uh, we would take the time today to just talk about Microsoft, talk about um, the Aqua, Aqua, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't say it, Activision Blizzard uh, purchase that will be going through. 
Um, and that's about it. So <laughs> yeah. that's all you need on a week like this. <laughs> that is that is all you need. Um, but before we get to that, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping. We need to do uh, a comment of the week, Jamie. So I've got a comment for you uh, right here, and this comes in from Neddy, uh, who says. Currently listening to your talk about how you want Microsoft to buy Blizzard on the day Microsoft announced it was buying Activision Blizzard King for damn near $70 billion. Jason Schreier has nothing on the Super Show scoops, lol. Yeah. Um, so look, you can't even escape the news story in the comments because, <laughs> as I said, Chris was ahead of the curve in guessing that that, yeah. that news was going to drop. Do you know what? If you're going back to our previous episodes and cutting out shorts for them to upload on the YouTube channel... We should absolutely cut that out as a short and make it as clear as possible by like putting the date that we predicted that like well, almost a week before it happened. That's a, do you know what? That's a good idea. I'm going to do that because, yeah, for people that didn't see and that um, don't care and like to ignore shorts, I had to make a short of, um, of the podcast last week because you had an absolutely uh, stellar take when you were talking about Metroid Dread, oh, see, which was okay. to say that it's basically Flappy Bird, which Does that I, mean we agree? Uh, do you know what? Yeah, weirdly, yes. And okay, it's not good. the only boss that has the Flappy Bird set. Because I know which boss you're talking about. You're talking about the big, uh, like mutant X thing that fires yeah. the little things across, and you've got to like jump and dodge and jump and exactly. duck and do whatever. But there are actually other bosses who you can kind of use the flat that Flappy Bird jumping style to get around. I'm thinking like the last boss is one of them. Okay, he flies up in the air and he's trying to shoot you. And you can sort of hover around him, and if you stay nice and close to him, and you hot and you jump like in the Flappy Bird way, you can kind of fly around him. Okay. And when you said it, it made me think of a couple of the other sections of that game, which are, can be Flappy Bird esque. Yep, turns out that's Metroid Dread's biggest influence. You heard it here first. And I believe your ending quote was, um, "You are going to finish Metroid Dread because you want to be absolutely qualified to shit on that game for years to yep. come." I haven't which... actually done it yet, um, but I'm getting there. The last time I tried to play it, I thought I was really close. I still think I'm damn close. And it just did a couple of things that, hey, go figure, pissed me off. And so I put it down. Vitch, you know, okay, there is, uh, we'll get to it after we've done the uh, shout out for the patrons. But I have played something else, which is kind of in a similar vein to um, yes. Metroid Dread. And some of the same problems I had with Metroid Dread, I felt with this as well. So, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, maybe they're genre that. issues or something. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, that's to be fair. That's probably what it is. Um, but as I said, it is time to give a little shout out to some of the amazing patrons that support us over at. Or I just get this wrong. Patrons who support us at Patreon.com. I always call them Patreons, but apparently they're patrons, which mm. kind of makes more sense. They support us at Patreon.com forward slash Super Show, and you can do it as well if you would like to support us for as little as $2. You can join our Discord. You can talk to us whenever you want. You can at us in the Discord, and especially I'm so sad that I'll probably respond to you because it pings up on my phone and gives me a little thing. Otherwise, I just forget to even comment for like weeks at a time, and then I'll have a little rally and a rant and go off on one about something's really random. Yeah. Um, but you can. You can talk to us, and you can get um, some of the uh, some behind-the-scenes videos that we've got up on our Patreon. Um, and also a couple of spoiler casts and the first episode of The Greatest Show Ever to Be Made But Not to Be Watched is, of course, No Murderer, um, of which there will be another one coming at some point this year, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. That having been said, there are some names on the screen right now of some of the awesome Patreons, and I would like to give a shout-out to a few. Uh, they are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Dark Silhouette, Helium Joker, Jesper Camden-Nielsen, Javela Cujo, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, 
Nathan Piers, Pastor's Guild, Scary Omen, Starfall Kid, <laughs> That Bitch Clara, Brett Z, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and okay, you Greek midget, your turn to try and pronounce Magnar Mikkelsen. That's Was my that your official attempt? You're entering that as your, your one and only try? My one and only try. Okay. Um, can I give another shout out to that bitch, Clara? Because that I love that video so much. Yeah, I'm glad it. someone is reminding us that that video exists. And I'll also extend my condolences to the artist formerly known as the Uncaged, who, as you can tell there from the Greek midget reference, uh, designed that patron name to be read out by none other than Chris. He reached out to me ahead of time because uh, Chris was originally going to be hosting this podcast. And unfortunately, when we switched over to you at the last minute, Jonesy, I did try to reach out for him for a replacement name. Uh, we didn't manage to get one across the line in time. And I thought it would be a bit uh, cheeky of me to make up my own insult for you. So uh, we're just going to have to see what he cooks up next. Maybe for me, maybe a different one for Chris. I don't know. We'll find out in the coming weeks. I'm hoping at one point we just get his name right. Because um, it's, you know, it's, I, I, do you know yeah. what? I did research. I actually did research for that attempt, which is sad, isn't it? I went, I found a few websites and it was like, this is how you say it. But I don't think I'm doing it right still. So, but yeah. You know what? You're growing. It's self improvement and self improvement at the hands of our patrons. And if patron is not there for that, then what is it there for? This is very true. And that's something else you can do if you join our uh, Patreon. You can um, you can help us pronounce names that we can't pronounce from other countries. Because mm. it, it's surprisingly difficult when someone says, this is my name. Because then they'll say, this is how to pronounce it. But of course, in text, if you don't know their accent, you don't know how to pronounce the word that they're saying it sounds like this. Right, People yeah. often say, oh, you know, my name is, I don't know, like a... Bill Maher, like Maher is in car, but obviously if you were from Boston, oh. you'd go, ka. So then you'd go, so your name's Bill Maher. And also like Bill Maher, assuming you're talking about the TV Bill Maher, the that spelling man. is weird, right? And you'd look at that spelling and be like, Bill Maher, Maher. You, you, exactly. But then, yeah, and, but people say the word car differently. You can't even say it sounds like when you say car, because <sighs> an American might say, ka, like Names. a Bostonian. As uh, as the idiot who decided to start last week's episode of the podcast with a rundown of the best-paid CEOs in gaming, trust me, I know all too well about hard-to-pronounce names in the video game sphere. <laughs> well, I've had a complete nightmare the last couple of weeks, of course, because um, uh, damn my dick, damn my cockburn or something. Oh, yeah. Damn, I hate cockburn. Damn, I hate cockburn. Yeah, I mean, that was a shit show of a pronunciation, obviously, from me, but um, I thought, hey. you know what, I can't pronounce things. And that's just, I'm going to have to go on a, some, uh, I don't know what you even call it, l- vocabulary expansion to try and learn to how to pronounce some more stuff. Good. But, that having been said, Jamie, yeah. I want to hear what you've been playing for the last week. Okay, well, g- uh, I guess good news uh, is that I haven't been playing much, but I have had time to squeeze something in today, and that's Rainbow Ooh. Six Extraction, because uh, nice. it launched the 20th, as of the time of recording, and thanks to a handy little service called Game Pass, I've got a feeling that might not be the last time we say those two words in the next two hours, um, I have been able to play it at no additional cost uh, over my base subscription to that service because nice. Ubisoft teamed up with Microsoft to get that deal done. It is a bit of a weird one. You need to have a an existing Uplay account. You need to then connect your Uplay account and your Xbox account, and actually that enables you to download the game on Ubisoft's native PC app. So it doesn't, right. you don't launch the game via the Xbox app anymore. Ah. 
bit of a faff. Um, and I was really curious to see what that game was all about, because obviously the review embargo dropped a couple of days ago, and some of the reviews, I don't know if you read any, they were pretty, pretty damning. Um, it seemed like a lot of the major you know, outlets and websites were kind of, they, they just gave it middling reviews. There were lots of kind of 7 out of 10s out there. And some of the, so let's say maybe more online-focused individuals or content creators uh, were a little bit more damning. I know in particular, um, I've, I almost called him Skillshare, Skill Up. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he was uh, not very fond of this game, and he kind of takes the the argument or the perspective, and he makes this very clear very early on in his review, that uh, a bland game is actually worse than a bad game. Like a bad game might be interesting oh, okay. in the way it is bad, whereas a bland game is just bland. And he basically went on a big long rant about how this doesn't really do anything that Siege doesn't do as well, if not better, and that the 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 way it's constructed, the way it's structured, is in itself very repetitive and very boring, and that the the systems, the upgrade systems, the progression systems aren't that engaging, and that the moment to moment gameplay isn't that fun. Um, so I went into this kind of thinking, oh god, this could be a disaster. After an hour with it, I'm like, do you know what? I probably come more on those hey, this is an average game side of the argument. Right. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it, uh, which, to be fair, uh, Skill Up does make clear as well that there's nothing demonstrably wrong with it. Uh, it just seems like it might be a little bit bare bones. It looks like a boilerplate, you're going to play this a couple of times with your friends because it's on Game Pass title, um, and I think that's what it's going to be for me. Uh, there's nothing about it based on first blush that is going to get its hooks into me. Um and I think you know some of the elements that they've clearly tried to experiment with. It's got this risk reward system where you can exfil at certain points of the level, or you can keep uh, progressing for better rewards. But the enemies become um, greater in volume and in strength. Um, I will say that my first couple of runs, I didn't really experience that at all, and we made through all three stages without any real difficulty whatsoever. Also, I remember us. Do you remember when we were first looking at the? Um, the gameplay reveals some of those gameplay trailers, and we said it almost had like a GTFO-style element, and that it could maybe yeah. differentiate itself from that Left 4 Dead style of co-op shooter with more stealth mechanics or maybe having to hold down certain areas or a heightened level of difficulty. And just none of that stuff really manifests itself in a particularly interesting way. And it right. felt like whether we were going stealth or stealthy or we were just shooting these infected beings, um, one, it wasn't that satisfying, and two, it was never that hard. So you don't really have much choice. There's not really much benefit to one place or another. Which is pretty damning when you're talking about uh, PvE as, as, a, as a game. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, unless someone gets really into those operators and really into some of the things they unlock later on because you earn XP towards the progression of individual operators and they have gadgets and weapons and skins that you unlock later down the line, I don't think there's going to be much to this in the long run which is weird considering how long it's been in development for. But then again, not that weird when you consider that they cut the price a little bit and put it on Game Pass day one, you know, so. Yeah, you have to wonder if, if, um, although it's good when things come to Game Pass and things like that day one, you have to wonder if that's because behind the scenes they've looked at the reality of the situation and they've kind of said, "Mm, okay, we don't think it's necessarily going to be a full price title upon release. Maybe it would do us better if we do a deal with Xbox and we we can get it on there early. Um. I, 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 part of me still feels like Ubisoft are just trying to clean their slate after what seemed like a very, at times confusing, at times maybe even troubling, sort of coronavirus period for them. Because I remember 
you know, their slate around 2019, let's say E3 2019. I'd go back further though, dude. Like I'd go back to this thinking about like Watch Dogs Legion. Even that was like a weird release where they just kind of snuck it out. I, like, well, right, no, that's that, that's what I mean. That's all a part of like, I think 2020 right, right, and 2020. Okay. In so much as that like, hey, I don't think it's a, that controversial to say that the plan probably wasn't to release Immortals, Phoenix Rising, Watch Dogs Legion and Assassin's Creed Valhalla three third-person open-world action-adventure games within, like, two months of each other. And that's the what they weirdest did. weirdest thing, yeah. It was yeah. so strange that they just pumped them out. Hi- Hyperscape the seemed weird. The Division Heartlands had gameplay leaks but then disappeared. That Ghost Recon free-to-play thing had a planned closed beta or private test or whatever it was and then also disappeared. Skull mm. and Bones, like, got completely restarted and I think now still exists. Beyond Good and Evil 2, no one fucking knows. There are games like Roller Champions that I... I does that still exist? I don't know. <laughs> That's um, a really good question. Yeah, like, so it's a very strange time, and uh, this, uh, you know, Extraction was one of those games that was rattling around in amongst that list. It was on that slate for a good handful of years, and it there is a part of me that just feels like Ubisoft just said to themselves, like, we've done everything we can. There's not that much more we can do with this formula or with the game we built. Uh, let's just kind of release it. The money we make is the money we make, and we're getting closer towards having a clean slate that we can work from and build a much clearer, much more focused outlook and output um, from ourselves as a publisher over the next handful of years. I hope that's the case. Fuck. Ubi seem to have been, they seem to have sort of flipped the switch in that they've, they went from being a, a company that were very good at making games and very good at marketing yeah. to, um, they were still good at making games, but they had a few mediocre releases and people weren't like overly, you know, they're a little bit, maybe they were a little bit bland and they weren't quite as good as the, the you know, the halcyon days of certain titles, certain IPs. And then they just seem to flip a switch and go, do you know what? We're going to shut off um, the marketing side of it. And we're mm. just going to pump the games out still. And we're still going to make them. We've still got an audience. We still know people are going to play our games, but we're just going to kind of put them out. Like, yeah. and, we're just, and if you buy them, you buy them. If you don't, you don't. Because it was a, it's been a weird period where I would say that they could have done a lot more with the the catalog that they have had, and they could have sung about them more, and they could have said they could have made more of each thing they've put out, and then let people. Fair enough, they come out and they say, Do you know what, this was a seven out of ten. You said it was, you know, you were really hyping it up and talking about it, but it's only a seven out of ten. That's not that bad. But to kind of just not even say anything and just drop games out like repeatedly and go meh. Yeah. Which is, that feels to me more like what they've done recently. And it, and it creates a situation where the better games amongst those crop get kind of lost in the weeds a little bit. And right. I think there's an argument to be made that the best two games that they've released in the last two years, the last 18 months, are Immortals Phoenix Rising and Riders Republic. And they feel like yes. two that kind of got left by the wayside a little bit um, for one reason or another. But, and both very good games, which is, doesn't make any sense because like Phoenix um, Rising was actually... Uh, was was a really good game and got reviewed like very well, and it was, was like a surprise hit, like a bit of a sleeper hit when people yeah. picked it up. And I said, think I think oh, it was better than Valhalla that, for that full period, right. personally. Yeah, and then even like we say, though, I think there was more of a push for the beta of um, Riders Republic. It felt like before they actually, you know, and then they didn't really push the actual game when Riders Republic itself released. It just kind of happened. Yeah, which is so odd. Which they did a similar thing with um, Watch Dogs Legion in that they were sort of yelling and shouting about that game for like, for years, and like you say, suddenly it just kind of got released right alongside Assassin's Creed and uh, Immortal Phoenix Rising, and they didn't. And it was like, oh, what a strange kind of thing. Yeah, that they just slipped it out. 
Yeah, very weird. It is all very odd. And I really hope, because fundamentally, I like Ubisoft when they're at their best. And I hope, like, free-to-play projects put to one side for a moment, whether it's the the second coming of that Prince of Persia remake, whether it's the planned Splinter Cell remake, or... I will say Far Cry 6, I think, was the notable exception to the marketing push and, and the, you know, release. I think they did, they, they went hard on that. Well, like, Far Cry feels like it's just about in that Assassin's Creed kind of phase now where you expect the marketing to be of a similar note to previous entries in the series, and you expect the sales to back that up. And I think that tends to happen. I didn't hear any real reports about Far Cry 6 doing notably poorly last year. Um, it's the first time since Far Cry 2 that I haven't bought one at launch, but I just right. don't know. I, but I did buy it eventually, so they got my money one way or another. Um, it's, it's still on my list, but it's not something I picked up already because it was. Hey, it, it was just one that. Do you know what, Jonesy? I'm going to say it to you now. You don't need to rush to play Far Cry Six. <laughs> right. Yeah, and um, I think that's the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially with oh. like, do you know, what? this is not a, a way that I encourage consumers to actively think, but it is one of the weird sort of almost reverse psychology things that can, might continue to happen in gaming. Is that like, if you're a publisher like Ubisoft the better track record you get for improving your games and adding to your games over time. And you think about what that in the case of either good games, like uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that again, only got better, only got fleshed out with more content, or bad right. games, like Ghost Recon Breakpoint, that needed fixing and then needed additional content. You yeah. create this strange scenario where more and more the story is that the best time to play any given ubisoft game is around a year after it came out because <laughs> that's when it's going to yeah. be bug free full of content riddled with microtransactions too sure but there'll be content and it will probably won't crash um i did actually just find an article that was released it was the metro which is a uk newspaper mm. um, in october of last year that said that the digital sales for uh, far cry 6 were 50 percent down on far cry 5 um, and wow, okay. second week it was down 66% on its first week so really not great uh, specifically from the UK but That's again not great. I I, um, I think the problem is is that some, with a company like Ubisoft even if you try and push like a Far Cry 6 if you're constantly un, like not pushing games and seemingly just trying to slip them out I think it kind of puts a little bit of a sour taste in people's mouths and they worry a little bit about your offerings on a whole, not just game yeah. specific. So maybe that's why. I'd like, um, yeah. I, it's I, a weird I, one. I really feel like, I know I just said this, but I really feel like the objective now, whether it's like, take a couple more examples of the games that they have been shitting out very quietly lately. I think Prince of per Persia falls into that category. I think that Roller Champions falls into that category. And I think any kind of free-to-play projects in the Division or, or, or Ghost Recon world, if they either of those two things ever, ever materialize, Get those things out quite quietly, if possible. Make your money, if there's money to be made. And then take projects like the reboot of Skull and Bones, Beyond Good and Evil, if it still exists, uh, Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, which could be a big AAA game, um, the Star Wars game being worked on by Massive Entertainment, who I think have some pedigree based on the two Division games, and even the Splinter Cell remake, and try and like refocus around a big, cool group of polished AAA titles that... All, again, when we're talking about Splinter Cell Reboot, when we're talking about Avatar, when we're talking about Star Wars, all feel kind of different. They don't feel like Ubisoft staples necessarily. And just try and frame the future of the company, the short-term future of the company around that, and then start to add the Assassin's Creed and the Far Cries and whatnots uh, when you have them and when they're ready back into that catalogue, hopefully with some new and fresh ideas along the way, because Lord knows those series need them. 
absolutely. No, I think you were absolutely right when you said um, it's it's kind of like they're cleaning the slate. Like they're trying to get get put or tuck away a lot of the older IP stuff, and they're just trying to move on, and they're trying to get to a new, <laughs> yeah. new um, it just stable of games. It just feels like I, I, I again I go back to that skill up review for Extraction to bring it back to that game, and he makes an observation that like, hey, there's matchmaking in this, but I he honestly believes that if you buy this game and don't have friends buy it with you in six months' time, like there's no guarantee you'll regularly find people to play with. And this is a co-op-only game. And I kind of agree with him, unless this builds some like, crazy community in the same way Siege did, and I'm just not seeing it for some reason. Um, right. This really does feel like, hey, let's get out the door, let's tick that box, let's make the money we make on it, You know, then draw a line under it and move on. Um, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> draw a line under it and move on. Um, I, I will also say, uh, not quite gaming, but I watched some television this week, and I want to give a particular shout-out. Never shout on TV shows, not a TV guy, but um, back in December, MacGruber um, finally got his own TV show. Uh, MacGruber, one of the... I'm going to say one of the funniest films of all time. Um, I know that's bold. I know most people won't agree, but you don't create a podcast and put yourself in it unless you're out here to make wild and you know, crazy statements. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make wild and crazy statements. McGroove is one of the funniest po- movies of all time. And this new TV show that acts as a kind of a sequel to the movie is very funny as well. I'm only a handful of episodes in, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, especially seeing new actors like uh, Lawrence Fishburne and, and Billy Zane uh, kind of being thrown into the mix and clearly very much enjoying themselves as they should be. Um, and the other thing I want to quickly say, uh, going back to something a little bit more gaming related is, I did my kind of like biannual emulator check-in this week. Okay. Because, um, you know, I, I always read reports, especially on Reddit, about emulators making certain uh, progress in certain areas or improving or the list of compatible games growing. And this week I went back to um, RPCS3, which is a PS3 emulator, which has come on leaps and bounds over the last handful of years. And for a platform that looked like it was going to be really hard to emulate for a little while, is now actually in a really solid, stable, reliable state, and also really accessible. Um, you don't really have to faff around with it too much. Obviously, not going to uh, promote piracy on this uh, platform. Uh, we're not against pri- piracy in any form, and neither are the creators of these emulators. But if you have a means to uh, engage with that software without piracy, then then it's, it's really cool, and there's a lot of fun to be had. Um, I went back and played little chunks of... Uh, 50 Cent Blood in the Sand, uh, Army of Two, The 40th Day, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, and X-Men Origins Wolverine Uncaged Edition. Ooh. So only the best of the best when it comes to that generation of games. And I'm uh, happy to say they all uh, ran well um, on our PCS3 and had a good time. Do you know what's strange about emulation is that I often emulate games as well, and I like go and and like you, I kind of have like an annual thing where I'm like, oh, let me let me like get an emulator and let me uh, have a play. I would never dream of getting a PS3 emulator. Right, I know it's crazy because it's like if if I'm going to emulate stuff, it's going to be NES, SNES, uh, like um, me, um, what do you call it, Mega Drive? Yeah, like maybe like GameCube or a push, but to me, anything newer than that is like. Well, it's, it's basically just come out. So why would I? Why would I emulate it? It feels Which weird, stupid. Yeah, it, it's, it feels too. But it's not. It's not new. It is old, and it is. They're completely valid things to emulate. And like you say, they're they're a lot harder to um, get emulated. Good emulators that run sort of like the more up to date. Yeah. Yet, so 
that's like, cool, man. I think the th- Xbox 360 emulator, I think it was called Xenia the last time I checked, and that was really lagging behind the PS- PS3 side of things. And, of course, like some platforms like the original Xbox like are still not that easy to emulate in some cases. I think you know, different hardware creates different problems for these uh, for the guys who create these soft these pieces of software and these emulators. Um, and so that was really fun to go back to and play. As I said, I've got to reiterate, four of the best, if not the four best pieces of software released for the PlayStation 3, full stop. In particular, 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to sort of do what you did because I did not play that much this week, but I did watch some stuff. So, um, okay, I will. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll probably go more more hard on the movies probably, but I did get to play something um, because, as I alluded to earlier, after playing and finishing Metroid Dread and then reading like subsequent comments that people had left on the videos and like what people had said in the Discord. I felt compelled to go and play another Metroidvania and, you know, see how it fared compared to Metroid Dread because I think there's, you know, a lot of people have been saying Metroid Dread's really good, but then some people have been saying it's not as good as a lot of the other Castlevania, um, uh, Metroidvania, sorry, games that are out there. So I thought I would have a little go at Hollow Knight um, Mm. on the Nintendo Switch. Um, And I would say, do you know what? I would say, First impressions of it were like it's much better looking. I preferred the overall aesthetic to it. I thought it was a much more interesting take. But I understand the difference with Metroid is Metroid is kind of set in how it's going to look. It can't really, you know, stray from how Metroid games are supposed to look. So that's not Metroid's fault at all. It's just a personal preference. I like the art style for um, uh, Hollow Knight. I also thought it was, you know, it's quite a cute little thing. You're this little sort of ghost character wearing a little bone helmet thing. And you've mm. got a little pin, and it's all you know, fighting bugs and insects and stuff. It's got a, it's got a nice aesthetic to it, and it is it is a lot of fun, and it is a cool game. Um, I will say that I definitely had some of similar issues that I had with um, Metroid Dread, not okay. as different issues, but that were similar in the sense of there's often times when I'm like, I do not know where I'm supposed to go from here. Um, in the, to, to the point, like I did with Metroid on two occasions, I actually busted out a walkthrough and was like, mm. where do I go? because I, I genuinely was was wandering around in the dark, effectively, because in uh, Hollow Knight, you only get maps for areas that you're in from this dude who's a cartographer who's mapping the area, and you've got to like find the dude and be like, oh, yeah, I want to yeah. buy this map of you. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we found myself in the same position that I was in at Metroid Dread a couple of times in that being like, well, I don't even have a map for this. At least in Metroid, I had a map that showed me where I was in relation to like the area I'm in. Um, so had to like try and where the hell is the map dude in this area and managed to find the guy in a couple of the areas I got to. But that aside, like the, the kind of not quite knowing where I'm supposed to go sometimes, I think it's, I am preferring it to Metroid Dread. It's much oh, more of a, because I, I prefer the way it is much more like you have a home base area that you can get back to. There's fast travel as well, which I'm so grateful for. Okay. Like, that's what I often thought in Metroid you needed. You know, you needed the ability to go, I want to go to there. I can get there quickly by going here. You can you can make routes shorter by sort of going, well, I want to go to there. If I go via this place, get uh, the fast travel to this location, I can then get there much quicker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you can the way that you um, uh, just grind for money, basically, and, you know, you have the more traditional, like you've got shops and you can buy stuff. I liked all of that. So, yeah, no, okay. very cool game. Preferred the aesthetic. Still some of those issues for sure but uh, difficulty wise because i always heard that hollow knight was a challenging game 
But obviously, Metroid Dread is challenging in its own right, albeit with very you know boss heavy difficulty spikes. Uh, how does Hollow Knight rank? I don't. Hollow Knight's not difficult. If in that, oh, sense. I mean, maybe okay. I'm. To be fair, maybe I'm just not far enough into it. Um, that I've not had any bosses that I've. I've. I'm. How many bosses have I fought? fought? I need about three or four in in Hollow Knight, so not many. So I don't think I'm that far into the game yet. It's probably too early to judge. But um, okay. no, by the top, the, the first bosses I encountered in Metroid Dread were much more challenging, and it felt like I was having to like learn their patterns much more. Whereas um, I think in Hollow Knight, I've it, it feels much easier to go into a battle, go into a fight. But ah, but then I will say, Metroid Dread, when you die in a boss fight, you effectively come back to life right outside the area, and you can just go and yeah. have another go. Hollow yeah. Knight is not quite the same as that. Um, if you've saved the game uh, nearby, if there's a bench nearby and you've saved, you can then, you, but you might have to run through, you know, a fair few mm. screens okay. in order to get back to that boss. So I maybe in some sense, the difficulty, it's not supposed to be quite as challenging in that sense. Uh, there's still there's still difficulty there for sure. Like I've died numerous times and you've got to go and get your little shadow to get your money back, which is, can be annoying. Oh, so there are almost um, Soulsborne elements that played there. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. Although it's not that that is, it's forgive, very forgiving in the sense of because I did at first think that let's say you're fighting a boss who's killed you and you're like shit. Okay, that was quite tough. I'm probably going to die again. Um, and I was thinking, oh, my little ghost thing that I have to take out to get my money back is going to be where the boss is. And if I've got to go fight that boss again, then I'm going to have to try and like get my little ghost thing at the same time, and I'm probably going to die again, which means I won't be able to get my money back. Um, because I'll just die and then that will reset. That doesn't really happen. <clears throat> they move the little ghost thing where you died one screen like away from the boss so you can have a nice little uh, soft match getting your money back and then you can go and fight the boss again. And okay. if you lose again, you know that you're going to get it back. But um, So yeah, I, I'm sure that it's just that I haven't hit the difficult elements of that game yet. I've only unlocked... A, um, i trying to think. Of, uh, I've only unlocked one additional way to move which has now given me the ability to go into areas that I couldn't get into before. So I'm pretty early on. Like I'm, I'm the first okay. few hours into that game. Um, but no, it's, it's cool. It's got a cool art style. I like some of the narrative. I like some of the way that it's, um, you know, some of the characters are dicks and like, <laughs> you know, give you shit and stuff. I quite like that. Um, yeah, no, no, getting, yeah, getting into it. Hopefully I'm going yeah. to stick with it and, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, for sure. I'm, I'm curious about it as well. It's a game that I think actually... <laughs> occupies a similar part of my mind as to what it sounds like it did on your end, which is that if I finish Metroid Dread and still have a hankering to explore other elements of or other explorations of that Metroidvania style of uh, game design, as someone who hasn't really spent that much time with it, um, I could see myself maybe trying something like that. Um, uh, It's it's funny, in and amongst all this Metroid Dread stuff, I was saying in recent episodes of the podcast that I haven't played that many Metroidvanias and maybe that's why I'm not clicking with some of the elements that are kind of new to the formula that they perhaps introduced to shake things up for people who were extremely familiar with it. And then I reminded that two of my favorite games uh, that Xbox first party uh, have released exclusively on Xbox platforms are the two Ori games, Ori in the Blind Forest, uh, right, Ori in yep. the Will of the Wisps, which are at their heart, their core Metroidvania titles. And I loved them. So um, maybe I was selling myself a little bit short there and maybe Hollow Knight ends up being a middle ground. I don't know. We'll see. But it's what the, literally the thing I did, I, I googled the best Metroidvanias, and I found a list that was like Hollow Knight is the best Metroidvania. And I was like, okay, let me see, you know, how because I know Hollow like Hollow Knight's newer, so it will be more available. 
Um, and on the Switch, it was on sale, so I think it was like 10 quid. And I was like, for 10 quid, I'm all over that. Yeah, um, no, it's a good price. Uh, but then I got to see something, not play something, but see something that I did really enjoy, which was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, okay. Which uh, I managed to go to uh, the cinema and check out, which I was amazed it was still available to go nice, see. Nice, yeah. But in my low, because you could get it on the Sky TV now. Like You can buy it. <laughs> Or rent it. So that's interesting. Like, do you and your wife not have a conversation where you're like, well, we could just sit at home and put it on the big screen and get some popcorn here? Or do you really like that cinema experience that much? I love the cinema experience. Um, we have unlimited cards for the cinema, so it's free to go. Um, and so, so, oh, so I, but I used to work there as well, like this Cine World that, I, that um, we went to, and it was the first Cine World in the country. And that's where we met. So, you know, it's, it's got Pretty a special cool. place in our yeah. heart. So we were like, no, let's go um, let's go and check it out. And Because I really want to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. And yeah, my wife wanted to see it as well. So uh, went and saw that. And yeah, thought it was fantastic. Like really enjoyed it. It had the, it was quite, it's quite funny actually, because it was, it was similar to The Matrix in some ways. Um, the Matrix 4, in that it's a new film, but definitely has elements of the like the original in order to like trip that a trip that nostalgia switch in you right okay yeah so it, it not obviously it's not trying to be another ghostbusters film in the sense of the original where it's like oh we're the ghostbusters you know it's not that it's very very different to that but there are very you know i don't want to spoil it just in case well, people who haven't seen it but there are definitely elements to it where it's like yeah pulling very hard well, on the original source material. That, that's that's where I got, I mean, you made the Matrix comparison, but that's where I got uh, Spider-Man elements because I remember one of the things that was strange about Spider-Man was that while that film was in production, was being filmed, there were all kinds of rumours circling around and right. certain outlets were more than happy to confirm those rumours as probably more than just rumours, like, hey, this is the plan, this seems like this is what's happening. And by the time that film was made and was ready and was about to come out, you looked at the trailers and the promotional material and the marketing, and it was very clear from a Marvel perspective, oh, no, these aren't open secrets. These are spoilers. And so everyone, us included here at the Super Show, treated them as spoilers and you know didn't talk about anything we weren't meant to talk about. The same thing happened to me with Ghostbusters, where I watched all the trailers and looked at all the posters and all this stuff, and I was like, oh, I, I know then there's an element here that I thought everyone knew and you're just, you're treating it as a secret, I guess, or, or maybe I'm just conflating a secret with a surprise and being a spoiled sport. I think what you're talking about in that is not a, yeah, it's not, a, I think it, I think that it's fine. If you know that, what I think, I, I thought that. everyone knew that. I thought that was the point. I, but it's, it's such a, it's a kind of a minor thing. Oh, there's something, right. there's something else, which actually was given away by the trailers, which I then knew. Because of the trailer, which mm. uh, kind of about like you know who, well, who they're going up against and who the bad guys are, um, oh, right. effectively, which I didn't, know, which I kind of guessed because of the trailer. But I'm annoyed that it gave it away in the trailer. Now, in, in hindsight, because I'm like, you didn't need to give away that. You could have kept that to yourself, mm. and you could have. It would. I think I would have had a better experience not knowing that. More of a like, oh, that's so cool kind of moment, which. Unfortunately, I did, I'd had ruined for me. But did you still get some, oh, that's so cool moments? Because I did. You know, people, with Spider-Man, you're talking about like 20 years of nostalgia. With Ghostbusters, you're talking about like 40, right? Like, And obviously for you, it, some of it was before your time, right? Actually, you were, you, you could you have seen mm -hmm. Ghostbusters at the cinema? 
Uh, the second so one, I, maybe? So, yeah, the, so the first one came out the year I was born, 1984. Mm. So couldn't have seen that. But um, I saw the second Ghostbusters film at the cinema. There you um, go. Okay, When cool. I was like five years old. Uh, I saw it in America because I used to go to America a lot uh, when I was a kid. And over there, you can see whatever you want at any age. So I've got, I went to see so many R-rated films as a kid, like young kid. Because my nan would just like take me and my brother to the cinema and go, yeah, they can go watch it. And then she'd go and watch a film she wanted to watch. <laughs> me and my brother were like 10 years old watching like Mortal Kombat or something. I like um, that. Yeah. So, and we used to get a like, free refill on our ICs. So you just like come in and go out and like get, you know, cane ice frozen drinks all the time. But yeah. So, and I remember when the second Ghostbusters movie came out. Um, and this is, I actually got a bit of weird nostalgia like after the fact, after I left the, the, the cinema, because I'd, I'd been there, I'd seen the film, I had popcorn and stuff, obviously, while I was there, because I love a bit of the popcorn. And I suddenly remembered that when I was a kid, you could get ghost in, ghosts in a can when Ghostbusters 2 came out. And it was an actual can that said, like, do not open contains ghost. And you had a ring pull on the top. And right. I, leg- I remember thinking that was real. Well, was it one of those things where it was like a, it was a spring inside and it would shoot out some weird like wavy no no it was empty oh it's a ghost oh i see yeah okay so yeah, literally, if, the whole point of ghostbusters is, the, is that the ghosts have like a physical corporeal form that you can look at and suck into a vacuum yes but ghosts aren't real so they were like it's obviously okay yeah the can was empty but the idea being that if you open the can it you could just be like well yeah there was a ghost in it but I remember thinking that it was actually had a real ghost in the can. Have you ever had that where you re- you remember thinking something when you were a kid? So I must have been about five years old thinking, oh, you better not open that because there's an actual ghost. I mean, there. does Father Christmas count? Like, what, 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 I don't See, know I don't remember that. I don't remember, talking about. I don't remember Father Christmas, like thinking about Father Christmas. Oh, see, I, I remember that well enough because I have a, a younger brother and I remember getting to the point where I had to keep up the illusion not just for his sake, but also for mine, because if we both quote unquote believed, then stockings were still a thing. <laughs> right. Right. I see what you mean. But no, I yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I had a I had a bloody good time. I thought it was really good. good. Really enjoyed it. Um yeah, I, I'm sure that the nostalgia thing would definitely came into play a decent amount. I've so I'm one of these people as well, like I don't think the twenty sixteen Ghostbusters movie was awful. I mm-hmm. think it has its place as almost like a parody of the original Ghostbusters, because it's not the same genre. Like, it's like an out-and-out stupid comedy. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you enjoyed that film, that's great. Like, I, I've seen it, and I thought it was passable as a stupid comedy, but it wasn't a Ghostbusters film, really. It could have been called something else, like, I don't know, Spookbusters, and it would have been probably better if it was like. called something like that. Um, But this definitely felt like a love letter to the Ghostbusters movies of the 80s, which, so yeah, I had a great time. Um. Also, ah, yeah, okay, and then moving on from that, I am um, something else with not quite as much nostalgia, but um, that I definitely wanted to see, and I finally finished this week was Dexter: New Blood, um, right? Yeah. Which I love the original Dexter series. Well, some of them, some of them hit and miss. Some of them were really good. This was weird. I don't know if I liked it or not. I okay. enjoyed <laughs> Interesting. it. Interesting. I enjoyed it insofar as it was doing a lot of the stuff that the original Dexter series did. And it's obviously the same character, you know, some of the same characters and things. Um, well, yeah, two, like two of the same characters, actually. Um, but it is a, it is definitely new. And some of the stuff they do in it, in the story, I think people might not like for anyone fans of the original series haven't seen it yet. And I'm, I'm still not exactly sure how I feel about 
the hmm. series as a whole. Um, but, you know. <laughs> well, I, I feel like one of the things about Dexter that I always heard from fans of, as you said, the bulk of Dexter, if not all of it, was that it got so off the rails by that final season and that finale that if nothing else, it almost felt like they were just coming back for a second shot at ending it on a not disastrous note. Yes, yeah, and it, I, t- I totally get why people felt that, but actually I think the problem is because because it feels like that, it feels like they were rushing to a conclusion. Right. Because it's not a full-length series. I think it's like 10 episodes. I could say, been, yeah, it did, it did wrap up faster than, just from an observer standpoint, quite quickly. And some weird writing as well. Like some of the, there was some odd stuff, like there's, there's one episode, for example, where he, uh, Dexter falls out with his uh, girlfriend and his son has a um, an argument with his girlfriend, and you kind of get oh that they're they're pissed off with each other, and and they he affect Dexter like breaks up with his girlfriend, and it's kind of like oh I guess we're over sort of thing. And there's even talk about rebounds and da 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 da, and then suddenly in the next episode they're just happy couple again, and you're like who's writing this? Like what's happened? Have That's you just odd. missed? Have you just missed out like two episodes? You just deleted them because you didn't have time or something. Yeah. To get to where you to finish where you wanted to, and then it kind of happens again, and that other stuff happens far too quickly. Like for my liking, it was just a bit odd. Um, hmm. Yeah, like they what an odd thing to a conclusion. I, th- I think yeah. they were rushing through. But it. then again, Jonesy, when it comes to TV shows returning from something of a hiatus, you were completely wrong about Twin Peaks: The Return, Twin Peaks season three, uh, which is one of the best pieces of television ever created. So. I don't know what your word is really good for at this stage. So. Is it? Is it? I stopped watching it because it was rubbish. Twin Peaks: The Return is one of the best pieces of television of all time. I'll take your word for it because I'm <laughs> never going to finish it. I'm more just trying to wind you up more than anything. Fair enough. Um, I also saw Eternals. Yeah, you're on your your you're you're on your Marvel shit. Yeah, I was. I know. I wanted to see this. One of the reasons because um because uh, so many people had slagged it off and that always makes it exciting to see something that people are saying is um, and it's one of those great ones as well I love these days where you hear where people start saying get woke, go broke and you're like, oh, okay, right, I've, got yes. to, I've got to see it now Just this is, this is fulfilling your obligation to watch every movie the, 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 that the quartering makes a video about not just him, like loads of people were saying how bad it was and I'm like, it can't be that bad it literally can't be that bad, which makes me want to see it to go, it can't be that bad and then to sort of check it out and um, and it wasn't as bad as a lot of people said okay. um, it's 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 a weird one in the, in the problem that they have with the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general is now everyone has to justify why they didn't help out during the great snapping mm-hmm. like, you know, and someone even says it in the film why didn't you help out? And they're like, uh, it's not really our job. We just fight these big alien cats. It's like, oh, okay. That seems like a mildly weird mission directive. But, mm. but uh, yeah, and it's a bit mental. The story's a bit crazy. Like, it tries to do far too much. It doesn't maybe do enough to enjoy it. To be fair, it does it's quite impressive they managed to introduce all these characters, have a story and a plot and come to a conclusion of such like a a big overarching thing in one film. Like I'm, it could have been a trilogy that they could have done if they really wanted to. Um, not that I would have wanted to sit through three films. No, yet, yeah. But yeah. it tries to cover a lot of ground and it does it okay. It's, it's not terrible. I think if you're into the MCU and you like more of that sort of stuff, then you might enjoy it. 
if you're like me and you're a little bit like you're a uh, surface level, you know, watcher of Marvel stuff, you probably think it's okay as a film, but it's definitely got some sort of shit to it and a bit yeah. like mm, it, bit rubbish. I, I none of the trailers appealed to me in any form, and it does strike me as a film that I'm just going to have to go back to and watch very quickly as I re- try and recap everything I missed prior to the next big gathering of MCU characters. Even though right. that now is made infinitely more complicated by the presence of multiple television shows that I have not watched any of yet. Oh, I really want to spoil it for you, like the end. Um, but I won't. I mean... It, I don't, <laughs> no, I'm if, not, I won't. I, I know it's only Eternal, the Eternals, but just in case some people are like... Oh, spoil it, spoil it for me after, after the pod. All right. I don't, I don't yeah. care. Bring it on. <laughs> um... But it's it's a weird one. Like it's com- it's completely standalone. It actually would have been better if they if it wasn't a Marvel's movie. If they'd have just oh, made the Eternals and they didn't mention anything else to do with anyone else in that universe, it would have made more sense. Interesting. Um, I think it would have it would have just been a standalone movie. Also, Angelina Jolie is weird in that. Like, it's like they put her in the film and then they basically just put her in it and then don't have her in it, probably because they couldn't afford her for as you know to be in the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, that, that that struck me as a weird one as well. Even just looking from on, on from a distance, um, I don't really know also, what you do with Angelina Jolie nowadays. Like, what what interests her? Like, she went off directing, and now she's back acting a little bit and taking on Marvel films, but like presumably not with the same gusto as you know Mr. and Mrs. Smith or something like that back when she was still jumping right. around and rolling around Tomb Raider. You know, hey, times she have still, changed. She still though. looks great. She still looks very good. I mean, yeah. I think, um, I heard, yeah, actually, I don't want to get into celebrity gossip, but yeah, I think she still gets around. Oh, right. Okay. Um, one thing I, I was, because uh, one of the reasons I'd heard about Eternals was because I sort of got into the whole fitness YouTube side of things, you know, like last year and stuff, trying to be I remember, like, yeah. bit fit, get into like, you know, go down the gym and stuff. And there was a big thing about Camille Nanjani, who was, um, who's in this, who's gone from, you know, like skinny, uh, sort of non-trained dude to jacked up Hollywood type in a very short space of time with like a year. Um, and so I was kind of like, oh, okay, let's, let's see the results of all this hard work that he's put in. Wasn't really worth it. He oh. doesn't really, he doesn't really pop his top off. He doesn't really come have any scenes where he needs to look super jacked or anything. Probably could have just worn some like muscle suit. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> if it's one of right. those things where like you sign up for a Marvel movie like that and you get a call from a producer. And it's like, look, you don't need to do this if you don't want to, but, it's part of your contract. Like we can get you six months of personal trainers, nutritionists, and steroids if you want them. And Camille's like, "Yeah, is it? What, it's all for free." And it's like, "Yeah, it's part of your contract." It's like, "Fuck yeah. it, I'll get jacked." We have the best PDs money can buy. Do you yeah. want them? Yeah, go on then. At this point, like, it's funny because I think when a lot of people talk about actors and how they get like jacked for roles and the fact of like steroid use and PDs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, especially with the Marvel movies, and there's a lot of people saying like they're all on it. Like, of course they are. Um, and then you can't, but when you see a film like a rock film, or you see uh, that uh, one of the Hemsworths or whatever, mm. the big, who's the big Hemsworth? Chris, Chris. Hemsworth. When he's uh, when he's Thor or whatever, you can't, it's it makes the movie right. You need these epically butch dudes, and you can see why they do it. Yeah. Camille Nanjani in the Eternals kind of seems like probably wasn't worth it. Was you know you've you've put your heart under a bit of strain. You've um you've, you've, you're looking great, but might not be worth it. Maybe drop off the peds. You know, get back down to uh, a decent size, and um, yeah, you'll be fine. Like, don't you know? Maybe get off the gear for now. Just uh, eat right, do the fitness stuff. But yeah, do it do it the natural way because can't really see much of a future as the next rock. But hey, 
what? Who am I to tell him? No, he tried it. It's like when I shaved my head during lockdown. You just got to try these things, Jonesy. That's true. Yes, true. Just got to give it a go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that. Oh, okay. That's nearly everything. I did. <laughs> okay. I did try one other thing that I did want to mention. Yeah. Can I'm you tell that I'm trying this. to drag out this other stuff just because uh, we've only got one thing to talk about? This. You're week. doing a wonderful um, job so far. Thank you. Uh, uh, yes, so I saw an interesting thing that said, um, so I got my the old VR out okay. recently because um, the kids wanted to have a go and they wanted to try out some, um, uh, I think Space Pirate Trainer is still one of the best. So my five-year-old wanted to play some Space Pirate Trainer, so we had a go at that. He thought it was wicked. I was surprised it fit because he's got a little head, but it worked quite <laughs> well, so he was on the Vive. Um, but I'm always interested to see the next big thing coming to VR. And Jamie, I saw a demo on Steam, nonetheless, for a little bit of VR filth. Oh, yeah. Let me see how this, how it's progressing, how they're coming along. Absolutely insane. We're all going to die because no one's going to be doing (laughs) anything. Oh, my God, don't do this to me. Real humans. It's getting too real now. Do you know the name of the VR filth that you interact with? Just for research purposes. I cannot remember. I'll try and look. I'll look it up for you, and then okay. I'll spin you. A, I'll well, then spin you a thing. in that case, you um, need to describe in vivid detail the nature of this filth that you found. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Safe to say that um, it is. It's only, it was only a demo. So it's very. Br- it was pretty brief and kind of boring, to be fair. But it was one of the things I always find amazing about VR is the um, is the room scale stuff. So it's when you can move around and you can feel like you're in an environment. You can get up and you can move about in that space. And I think it adds a whole level of realism that like the seated VR stuff doesn't have to it. And yeah, it is, I, I, I could just seeing what it's like now and with demos and stuff, just where it's going to go in but, the future. I am worried for the future of the world, you, especially with meta coming online and, and Zuckerberg trying to get us all confined to our homes forevermore. I, I still need a clearer picture here though. Was this like, was this a female character model perhaps that you were interacting oh, with? No, these are, so these are, these is like, you know, and you don't interact. It's like other, it's these, these character models bone in just like away to the side, but you can like oh. walk around. So like, let's say they're just lying there on a desk. <laughs> so it's a voyeur simulator. You're just kind of like watching people fuck. I see it's a, it's a game. Like it's supposed to be a full on game when it gets released. So I was reading up about it and it's going to be like a proper, I can't remember the style of, I can't remember the goddamn genre of game it's going to be, but I don't know how they're going to weave this into the narrative of the game, but apparently it's on steam. It's like, Oh yeah, we're going to be a big game um, that you'll be able to play, but it's also going to have boning in the game. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Let me have a little demo. Let me yeah. have a look at the demo. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a scary thing when you can see the future and you can see that it's just going to end humanity. As we know. I can't wait. I can't wait to get my VR fucking porno on. Yeah, but this is the other thing. It's all because it's all going to be CG. It's not going to be humans. It's oh no, gonna I'm going to go both ways. Because I, I, I've still never had a regular VR porn experience. So I'd like to do that once as well. Right, right. You know, I want. I want to do it have all. Have you got VR? Too. Have you got VR? I don't have a headset. No. I thought you did have a headset. Oh, you haven't got a headset. Okay, no, I played the uh, the Oculus Quest Two at my brother's house over Christmas, and right. Chris is currently the proud owner of the Oculus Rift that was uh, given to mm. All Time Gaming back in the day. Right. Um, I personally do not own a VR headset. I am not made of money. I would. I need to get back into it. I need to like do some more VRing because. Um, when I don't do it for a long time and then I try it out again, I'm still blown away by how good VR is. Even though I've got the original Vive, I really want to try out so like the PlayStation VR 2, I think is going to be wicked. Yeah. Um, 
I really want to have a go at that when it gets when it gets put out. Hopefully later this year. Um, yeah, if there's some cool homebrew stuff that allows some kind of PSVR two compatibility with PC games, um, especially if obviously we don't know about the futures of games like Half Life Alex and whether or not they're going to get ported, I'd be into something like that if it were plausible. Right. Yes. No. That is that's a great shout. Yeah. If if it is. You can get it to work on the uh, like PC side of the stuff. That'd yeah, be cool. Because some some they, smart person will do something. Well, the the cost the cost is still so prohibitive when it comes to the PC side of things. Like when you look at uh, the hot, the very top end stuff, you're still talking like thousands of pounds to get yourself set up with a decent VR. Yeah, system. but then you have the Quest Two, like we said before, which is like three hundred quid for the base level, which is amazing that you can yeah. just hop in and play that. And, and it's you, like there, and it's all compact, and it's you know. and it's wireless. Yeah. There we go. That's the future. The future of VR Quest, hopefully. Oh, no, it's not. It's probably going to be the new, whatever the new thing. I can't remember what they're calling it, the new one. Wait, the, whose new one? My uh, Facebook's. Oh, oh Oculus. Oculus have thing. a new headset that's been announced already. Not not announced. I think it's uh, like rumor, rumor mill stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. A name I mean, yeah, like they're so in um, on the kind of like the, the metaverse stuff that, that the Oculus brand will keep producing headsets for, for years to come, I'm sure. No, yeah, absolutely, yeah, exactly. And they're already going to get better. And that will be the scary future where we all die because everyone's watching CG People Bone instead of doing it themselves. Anyway, let's move on to the big news story of the day. We've wasted enough time with frivolous topics about other things. It is time to talk about Microsoft's epic buyout of... See, I've ruined it now because I said epic and now people are going to get confused. <laughs> Their massive buyout of Activision Blizzard. Oh, massive. Um, the uh, the Ubisoft uh, studio. The ones... They made the division, right? Yeah. The big buyout of Activision Blizzard. Um, oh, EA Big. The... Uh, the uh, you know, Yeah, no, I'm with you. For a staggering $68.7 billion. Um, so this was obviously... Uh, announced this week um, and it should be going through in 2023. Um, I think it sort of came out originally. Someone sort of half leaked it and then I think the confirmation came pretty soon after, if I'm right. It was, yeah. it was very sort of short amount of time that it was on the rumour mill. I think um, it was the um, Wall Street Journal, if I'm not mistaken, who are kind of hot on the heels of this story, both in terms of kind of tweeting as it was beginning to look more and more likely on the day and they've had a lot of the scoops uh, since the news broke as well. So shout out to them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the most ridiculous thing about this, of course, is that we were still reeling from the uh, the Zynga um, buyout from by Take Two um, last year, which was sort of twelve point seven billion dollars, and this is like seven six times that, which is absolutely insane. It's also insane because obviously all the news we've seen of Activision Blizzard in the last you know year or so has been the problems that they've had. The um, the uh, I don't even know how to Jesus Christ. How do you put that into one sentence? All the sh- the shit show that Activision Blizzard uh, had. With- shall I shall I shall I put it into the sentence the same way that the uh, source I looked at for these bullet points did? <laughs> Go for it. The deal comes after a turbulent period for Activision Blizzard, following numerous reports of employee misconduct, toxic workplace conditions, and intense pressure on the company's hugely controversial boss, Bobby Kotick. There you go. Thank you. That is that is perfect. Um, yeah, because of course all the news stories we've seen, um, even up to now, they've been talking about like the unionization. We're talking about that whether Kotick's going to leave. We were talking about up to sort of two weeks ago. We were saying about where do, where do Activision go and talking about the fact that um, how do they pull back from this? Their stock price has been going down. They had a problem with sales that you know, and it's what's the knock on? And then suddenly, yeah. after all of this talk, you get this epic buyout, and 
of course, you have to start asking the question, is part of it a PR play is because Activision have said, we need to change the script. We need to, you know, make something different happen. We need to get people talking about us for a different reason. Um, and you've got to assume that Microsoft saw a hell of a deal when they, uh, you know, knowing that maybe they would be willing to um, to be bought because let's be mm. honest, you know, they need to they need to make people think differently of them. And one of the ways you can have people think differently, of you, it's like when you have a pub and you say under new management, they can just right. say under new management and it kind yeah. of wipes away the sins of the past. No, that, that that's definitely a part of it. I think when you're looking at acquisitions, as I think a company like Microsoft kind of always is, even if it's just out of the corner of your eye, there's a big difference between targeting a particular company or a particular publisher and approaching them and saying, we'd like to buy you. Um, how does this much sound? And what happened in this case, which is the other way around, when a company approaches you and says, hey, we'd like you to buy us. How much does this, how does this sound? And I think when a deal like that is kind of offered to you and Microsoft is still in the position they're at when it comes to trying to build out their portfolio of intellectual properties, trying to flesh out and add support for and ultimately market products like Game Pass, the prospect of owning Activision, bringing in 10,000 new employees, all with a huge amount of experience working on some of the biggest and best franchises and games at a time where talent is really hard to come by and talent exoduses are happening yes. everywhere. You get all the IP, you get, you know, you get all the franchises, you can support and promote Game Pass. And also, like, we're going to talk a lot about the fate of certain franchises, but let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. All of a sudden, you own Call of Duty. You own the single biggest home console franchise on the planet. So, yeah, when you flip reverse it, as you just did, and all of a sudden paint this as a picture of Activision struggling and a number of the the board of uh, executives and the ownership at Activision saying to themselves, actually, this is a situation that we'd rather sell ourselves out of than work our way out of. Um, then it becomes more of a prospect for Microsoft, and I think that's why they did it, and that's why they moved so quickly. And that it moving so quickly was why no one had a fucking clue this was going to happen until the bombshell dropped. And wow, what a bombshell. Indeed. Um, it is a hell of a bombshell, and I think we should well, let's lay some facts on the table, Jamie. So what have Microsoft actually got for their money? So they have, of course, as you've just said, bought uh, Call of Duty. Um, but what else from the Activision side have they got? They've got Spyro, Guitar Hero, Crash Bandicoot, and Tony Hawk. And from the Blizzard side, they've got World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Hearthstone, and StarCraft. And, of course, they've because of the King side of it, because it's um, they've also got the mobile arm, uh, they've got Candy Crush as well. So they have bought some of the best-known sort of IPs that are in existence. You know, so yeah. um, and like you said, Call of Duty is the biggest one of the bunch, but it's certainly not the only the only big one. Um, no, the only money spent. from it. It's, it's also it like is, those are the franchises that have been relevant in the last like decade or two. Uh, there's tens more if you want to go back oh, yeah, to the uh, the Jesus. previous century. They've uh, yes, it is is too numerous to sort of to, to count really. Um, but it's, it's I think, and immediately the first thing that everyone started saying, of course, was, does this break monopoly laws? Does this break like anti anti competition laws? And I'm sure it's something they're going to have to be looking at over the next year before the sort of the deal actually goes through. Because I think we were we were sort of saying earlier before that we got on the podcast that if you compare the size of this purchase, so sixty sixty nine billion dollars, um, you could effectively have bought uh, Sega, Capcom, Square Enix, Konami, Ubisoft, Bandai Namco, and Take Two for that same amount of money 
yes. combine all of their that that those together. And for another for a ninety, I think about ninety five billion total, you could have also thrown EA in that bunch as well. Yeah, which I mean, just yeah, kind the of numbers deal into some scale. The numbers are staggering, and you know it, it's been interesting doing a little bit of research myself and trying to look into the numbers, not just the the market capitalizations and the values of these company as confirmed by the acquisitions in in some cases, but also just looking at revenue and trying to trying to understand, okay, well, why is Activision worth $68.7 billion and Ubisoft is worth in the $6 to $7 billion range? And then you realize that if you look at 2020, Call of Duty alone as a franchise earns double the amount of revenue as Ubisoft did as an entire publisher. You think Ubisoft in 2020, launching all those games we talked about earlier, launching yeah. Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legion, and it doesn't matter how many fucking games Ubisoft <laughs> launched in 2020. It doesn't matter you know, if Rainbow Six Siege had a new season. Call of Duty alone is twice as big uh, as, that, as that entire company, and Call of Duty is still the most widely played console game um, but above anything else. I think it's 55% of all console owners play Call of Duty. In, which is ironic into inverted commas, which is for reference, that good. GT, I, I know it's that's the weird <laughs> thing, but I, like I'm one of them, you're one of them, you're the yeah, we're the reason it's 55 percent. For anyone wondering, GTA is down at 41 and that drops to Fortnite at 28 percent. So Call of Duty is an absolute gargantuan property and it contributed a lot to this, uh, to this fee, I'm sure, which makes what they do with it even more interesting. But yeah, um, it is weird when you start to run the numbers, that's for sure. It's funny because if you kind of said to me, like, if you, if you try and sort of break down gaming into its most um, sort of obvious, so if I was talking to someone who didn't know anything about gaming and they were like, what, you know, tell me about, tell me gamers, who are the gamers? I would be like, kids play Fortnite, uh, pe- bloke, blokes who like sport play FIFA, PC nerds play WoW, and everyone plays COD. Yeah, like that's kind of how I would I would kind of think of it. Like COD, the, COD is everyone has to play, but it's it's one of the it is like literally the biggest pillar, even of those sort of like you know four or five pillars of gaming. It's, it's one of those things that you have to play. Everyone plays it. It just comes out every year, and it seems that you don't have a choice. You just buy it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even if you didn't want to play it. You just have to play it. Um, and might you know it might change in the near future. There have been some sort of maybe weird murmurings in the last. Um, few months and things from the, off the back of maybe not for Call of Duty as a franchise because like Warzone is still doing really well but when you look at sort of Vanguard and things you do wonder about what the future holds for them especially oh, totally. as, we've talked, as we've talked about before the new map maybe didn't have as much of a um, an impact as I'm sure they were hoping it would have on Warzone and things yeah. but, and it I doesn't mean, take long before a game has a turn and everyone starts playing something else um, true honestly so, like you, you you've touched on one of the topics that I'm most fascinated to break down, I think, in the coming months, in the coming maybe even years, as we start slowly start to come to terms of what life looks like for Activision under the Microsoft banner, is that so many people in the short term, and I completely get it, but a lot of the fixation so far in the last 40 hours has been on exclusivity, has been on which Activision Blizzard properties will Microsoft allow to be cross-platform, or perhaps more poignantly, appear on a PlayStation platform, if any. And then, you know, there's some been some back and forth on that that we'll get to in due course. But beyond that, it's like, okay, let's say that Microsoft aren't fussed about exclusivity when it comes to Call of Duty. Let's say that for whatever reason, maybe there are existing agreements between Activision and PlayStation that need to be honored and so on and so forth. Let's say for the sake of argument that Call of Duty in terms of its premium $60 
this is the video game in a box that you're going to put into a console product continues to come to all platforms that it does at the moment. Microsoft is still now in charge of that franchise. They still write the checks. They still reinforce, you know, the uh, the deadlines. And of course, one of the things we knew, uh, one of the things was very public, whether you didn't even have to read, you know, the insider columns, you could just see in their release schedule, is that Activision under Bobby Kotick, they loved annualized franchises. They loved taking things like even the franchises, some of which you mentioned just then, like Tony Hawk or, or Guitar Hero. They, they said, strip this down to a formula, make it annual, make one every fucking year, let's bleed it dry, and when it dies, it dies, and when it's dead, fuck it. Uh, Call of Duty didn't get to that point, but they have continually flirted with it over, over the last you know six or seven years, let's say. Um, will Microsoft shake that up? Do Microsoft do the unthinkable and like, hey, you know what, Infinity Ward or Treyarch or Sledgehammer, whoever it is, take a year off. We don't need a Call of Duty this year. Or you know what? You're used to making a game with $50 million? Here's 100 Or you know what? You're used to adapting the same engine you've been using since Modern Warfare? Make a new one. Like, Microsoft can do stuff like that, and that's going to yeah. be the part that's really fascinating for me. It's, it's, there's an interesting side to this as well, because I mean, often with big um, companies, big IPs, you know, big names in, like, whatever you want, like actors, whatever, they often have a, um, a point in their careers or a point in their life cycle that they peak, and then you talk about them in an insane amount because they're at the peak and then they decline and then they keep declining because the point was they were at the peak. They were at the zenith, so they were never going to get any bigger than that. And mm. the weird thing with um, Activision Blizzard is because of all the shit that's gone on in the last year, because of the like the turbulent year that they've had, it feels like that they might not have been at their peak. And so maybe this was a great time for Microsoft to buy them because they've managed to buy them not at their peak, probably for a decent amount of money. They can still make a hell of a lot of money out of them. But, there's still the possibility that they have actually kind of topped out and that they do keep declining and they keep sort of going down and down and down. So I I find it doubly interesting, this deal, because I don't actually know where Activision Blizzard are. And even if Microsoft do say, hey, do you not, guys, take a year off. You know, we're going to reevaluate stuff. We're going to come back. We're going to have fresh eyes on it. You know, like you look at um, you look at a game like Battlefield, which has kind of ha- tried to have that done to it a number of times um, and has not managed it. Yeah, um, and I've had problems again and again. You even look at uh, what um, Activision Blizzard tried to do with the original Battle Royale that they released before Warzone, which was trash. I can't remember what it was called. It was so bad. Like what? What was it? The the call sorry the Call of Duty Battle Royale or the Battlefield yes. one. No, it was no, a, it was Duty Blackout one. in uh, Blackout. Black Ops Four. That was horrendous. Like that was such a. Piece of crap <laughs> I still no I think that was now. an experiment more than anything. But yes, it wasn't great. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But then it does make you wonder, like. Is this them buying, you know, thinking that they're getting a really good deal for something which is worth an insane amount of money? But actually, what happens is year after year, market share then, of Activision Blizzard goes like, down and down and down, and it becomes it's less relevant. It's possible, but like you know, we're talking about year after year, it becomes less relevant. Like I think Microsoft will see themselves as being now masters of their own fate and their own destiny, no pun intended, um, when it comes to the future of some of those franchises. And I think like one of the most encouraging things that whether you're a fan of Microsoft or a fan of Activision and Blizzard's uh, franchise and you wonder how Microsoft might handle them, is like, look at what happened to Halo. Like, they showed that game, they listened to the fan responses, the fan yeah. feedback, and they a fucking it, they took a game that was meant to come out alongside the launch of their next-gen console, the game that was meant to be the big supporting game for the Xbox Series X, and said, fuck it, if it needs another year, it can have another year. 
Yes. Like the Microsoft that's willing to delay a Halo game for, for 12 months and miss a console launch is a good Microsoft for games like, well, Call of Duty is one example that we've been focusing on, but especially like when we're talking about Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 and the Blizzard side of things and how they've really struggled lately with holding on to key personnel members, especially in the senior hierarchy, really struggled with holding on to talent at, you know, the, you know, the more sort of like boots on the ground level of game development. And both of those games now look like they're probably 2023 titles or later because they've just been having their own troubles. A Microsoft that's willing to give them time, give them space and give them money um, and support them with the rest of the wide studios and the, the whole infrastructure that Microsoft's building. Because the other thing this now means is that, hey, if you're Blizzard, you have like fucking 50 sister companies that you did have, didn't have before to help you in one way or another. Like, I hope that there's a positive outlook for some of the games involved in all of this. Because fundamentally, like, there are important elements here that we haven't, you know, fully talked about yet. Like, you know, like workplace culture and workplace conditions, um, like employee misconduct and Microsoft's potential impact on that, positive or negative, like exclusivity, like, you know, the role of PlayStation and and, and the wider the, the wider sort of industry-wide outlook for a deal like this. But, like, I don't think it's crazy to hope that the games benefit, and that would be cool for us gamers because they're the things that end up in our hands at the end of the day. They're the products. I think um, no, I think you're right. I think we can we can definitely hope that'll be the case. But you touched on it there, so let's talk about it a little bit because um, one thing we haven't mentioned up to yet is the fate of Big Bobby Kotick and uh, what's yeah. going to happen to him, which is one of the questions that immediately people started posing um, on Twitter and other platforms as well. Which was, you know, does Bobby stay? Does Bobby go? And I think we uh, it's kind of been it hasn't been confirmed, but it has been um, rumored and suggested and effectively said that once that contract has been sorted once everything has been decided and once the ink has dried and the deal has gone through uh bobby kotick will be getting a very tasty payout of something like 280 billion sorry billion <laughs> 200, 280 million dollars um, yeah he will get a pat on the head and he'll get sent in his way um yeah. which when it comes to this is talking about it with the other day i think in the whatsapp group and i think from my perspective when i look at something like that i think that is the best thing that Activ- can happen to Activision Blizzard. You have a company that have good standing, whether or not that's true uh, with the rank and file everyday people who work at Microsoft, obviously don't work there, don't have any idea, but that seems to have like a good standing in the industry who are going to take over from Activision Blizzard. That's a completely new management structure. There's people from the top who are going to, who can say we're different. We're going to run things like this. I think they've even, Microsoft have even said that they're going to um, take a look at all of their, um, uh, their workplace yeah uh, um sexual harassment and gender discrimination policies and practices will be reviewed microsoft wide exactly so that they can you know going into this they can make sure that they are seen to be doing everything that they can do from there um and so i personally i think that will probably have a really good effect on activision blizzard as a company because just the often the just the feeling of the employees the grassroots employees is one of the most important things and if they think that stuff's happening and it's going to be better then it will be better because yeah. you know, it'll create a better culture and one thing that must be horrendous at the moment is just working there and feeling like you work in a toxic place has got to be pretty bad for your you know your, yeah. your esteem in the workplace and everything reality of the situation is and this is what I'd love to get your take on. Do you think Microsoft now are too big to actually have any effect on the companies that fall under their umbrella? Is it just um, policy? Is that effectively what they've boiled down to when they're so big? I really hope not. 
I think the temptation is would be to 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 fear that to be the case purely based on the size and the scope of Microsoft itself as the company. There's a part of me that hopes, perhaps naively though, that um, that they can hone down that sort of the size of Microsoft and instead put it as more of an Xbox wide focus. You know, you've got the fact that Phil Spence had a promotion in amongst all of this. He's now the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. I'd like Microsoft Gaming to be its own wing and Xbox to be a big part of that wing and Phil Spencer to kind of like lead by example on that front, in which case you can have, you know, a a more minute and a more specific look at where, you know, workplace environments you can keep a hold of and keep a tab on what's going on every single studio and make sure that the situations that arose at both Activision and Blizzard um can't be repeated, that the people who are responsible for those situations arising in the first place are no longer in those places, and that the circumstances that gave a right, gave rise to those uh, situations aren't allowed to be recreated. Again, like, yeah, when you're talking about Microsoft, you're talking about the second biggest company in the world, right? Um, wow, okay. I, I think, I, I might be wrong, I think um, Apple might be the only company that are bigger. I, again, that could be completely off base. But, like, you're talking Tes- about, like... Tesla have got to be as bigger, right? Uh, t- t- like Tesla are up there, but I, I um, the ones I always remember, it's like uh, it's it's Apple, Microsoft, um, it's uh, some oil Alf- giant. In, uh, yeah, there's, there's oil companies. There's Chinese companies, obviously as well. There's um, uh, uh, Google or Alphabet, um, but Microsoft right. are always well, you know surprisingly. Now you're mixed. right. Number two, number two, yeah. Microsoft Corporation are the second biggest by market capitalization, uh, 176 billion dollars. And so yeah, when you think about that. Like you think to yourself, oh God, I hope that, you know, the down to the individual employee, Activision and Blizzard, that these things don't get lost in the weeds. But I also hope simultaneously that Phil Spencer is kind of like you know, the, the, the top of that tree now, that arm, that wing of Microsoft can can lead from the front and, and ensure that those things don't happen again to those people or to anyone. Right. Um, I'm gonna. Know. Do you know what? I, I've just opened this this Investopedia link where it gives the top companies. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you a little quiz, Jamie. Given that, uh, just to sort of okay. give us a little sideline because you you've nailed it with a few of them. So I think uh, we'll just um, take a second to just <laughs> enj- enjoy your knowledge. So number one, who are you saying? It's Apple. It is Apple. Three hundred sixty-five point eight billion dollars. Uh, Microsoft, as we said, it's second number two hundred seventy-six point three billion. You've you've mentioned number three. Can you who are you going to say? Al- Alphabet. Alphabet and number three, two hundred thirty nine point two billion. Um, um, I, I I don't know the rest, the order for the rest of them. I know like in the top twenty, I know Facebook will be in the top oh, twenty. So hold on, hold on. I'm reading the wrong stat. I'm reading revenue, market capitalization. Let me just quick recap. Oh, Apple, um, two point nine trillion. Microsoft Corp, two point six trillion. Alphabet, two trillion. Number four is kind of one that uh, one, I'm going to take this one because I said uh, some oil company. Saudi Arabian oil, 1.9 okay. trillion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I honestly don't know. Like, I know that in the top 20, like Facebook will, will, will be in there somewhere. I know Tencent Number will be in seven, there somewhere. Meta, Meta Platforms Inc. Uh, is is Tencent in the top 20? I've only got the top 10 here. Tencent aren't in it. I was shocked at number eight. This is this should have been the title of the video. Number eight will amaze you. <laughs> Give me a clue on number eight. Graphics cards. NVIDIA. NVIDIA Corp. Wow. Number eight. Fair play to them. How the hell <laughs> are they there? That's pretty impressive. The number eight company in the world by market capitalization. That's I NVIDIA. wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> Do you know what that is? 
just selling cards so people can mine crypto. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I mean, to be fair, that they are a company that somehow has been out of stock of their flagship product for what feels like 18 months now. So, yep. yeah, they're doing something right. Wow. Fair play, um, NVIDIA. You are, I would have thought you were nowhere near that list. Yeah. So, well, well done. Really well done. Sorry. Anyway, I've derailed the conversation. I didn't mean to. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, 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 I have... Again, I, I don't want to make this all out to sound like, you know, optimism and, and and positivity when I know that there are lots of different angles to a story like this and a situation like this. And it's not all positive and it's not that, that we shouldn't necessarily be optimistic about everything. But like, I think that the idea that Bobby Kotick gets to uh, walk away in 2023, potentially when this deal is done, is a little bit of a bummer. I don't think anyone likes, whether you're Activision Blizzard employee or not, no one likes the idea of him getting handed a check for $300 million and getting to fucking sleuth off in, into the night when he was the one who oversaw and in some cases hid so many of the things that were going wrong under his watchful eye. Like, I, I look, I'm not out for like, I'm, I don't want to campaign for justice. I don't even know what justice looks like in a situation like that. That's above my pay grade. But like, I can see why that would be a little bit like, a, 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 that I can see why someone who, if, if you were an active Activision Blizzard employee and you were campaigning for better circumstances, there, there are Activision Blizzard employees right now who are um, on strike, if you look at the case of like Raven Software, right. because of various circumstances. If you were fighting hard, if you were circling unionization, if you were trying to oust Bobby Kotick, if you were trying to pressure the board into um, ousting him as CEO and so on and so forth, and this happened, and you knew that the outcome for him would be a big payday and he gets to walk away, I can see where you'd be bummed out. But at the same time, I can see why you'd be hopeful that even if things like unionization aren't on the table anymore, that the workplace circumstances, uh, the workplace conditions, that the you know, employee misconduct would improve under Microsoft by one way or another. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Briefly. Good, good. In defense, need of, in defense of Bobby Kotick. Oh my God, I did not think there would be that devil's advocate. You really are the devil's advocate. Jesus. Uh, purely to say... Can you can you can we call this podcast in defense of Bobby Kotick? Dot dot dot. Yeah, all right. No. Um okay. He has been you know, he has been the captain of the ship in the last like 18 months and all this shit has gone down, right? He is definitely responsible for or not responsible, he is irresponsible in letting um a lot of what has gone on at Activision Blizzard happen, right? That is absolutely something that should be laid right. at his door because at the end of the day, uh, the buck stops with him. That having been said, I do have some slight sympathy, if I'm playing devil's advocate, for the position to say that the reason he can walk away with 280 billion, uh, geez, I keep saying it, 280 million or 250 million or whatever it is, is because he's also helmed Activision Blizzard to be worth $69 billion. And if you're gonna, and I, I, there is a there is a small part of me, and w if you're gonna if you're gonna say that someone at the top is responsible, you know, or should take a lot of responsibility for the state of Activision Blizzard and the culture, I completely one hundred percent agree with you. And the fact that maybe he should have been like given the boot, or the board should have ousted him, or whatever, I definitely think there's a conversation there. I definitely think the um, employees have got um, have got you know reason to say that. But at the same time, I think if you hold someone at the top responsible for what happens in the whole company. Um, as as you should, you also can't say that it's nothing to do with them when you get a company is worth but $70 billion. So gold, I think one of the best things that can happen is just to get rid of him, refresh the culture, 
and and yeah. try and claw back some of but, what Activision but Blizzard. I, there's also the out. there's also the issue though that as we established last week, where up until I think it was last year, which was the first time ever that he took the minimum that he was allowed to take. This is a guy that claims nine-figure compensation bonuses on an annual basis based on how well he's done. You know, CEOs yeah. like this are compensated on an annual basis for what he has grown this company into as CEO. The, like, oh, do, you, sure. yeah, do you need an sure. extra $300 million as a goodbye message? Like, No, of course he doesn't. Like, no, absolutely not. But that, but it will, it will literally be a legalese thing. It will be, be the case oh, yeah, of... The- this in his is, contract, it says the, 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 the wording apparently is that in his employment employee contract, if he is terminated as a result of a change of control of the company, then the two hundred ninety three million fee is is that which is agreed if that takes the place, and that is fundamentally what we believe will take place. So, and no one wants to give him that money, like. But at the end of the day, it's a small. Given that they're buying the company for set for seventy billion, it's a small price to pay to uh, acquire the company. Like if you if, imagine if they'd said, "Do you know what? We're not going to buy Microsoft aren't going to buy Activision Blizzard because they don't want to give Bobby Kotick 280 million dollars." Like that would be completely pointless. Like they they pay him the money, get rid of him. At the end of the day, there are greener pastures. You need to move past this. I think kind of lamenting the fact that he's getting a big payout is kind of is kind of pointless at, the, at this stage. I think they should everyone should just say, "Do you know what?" Don't even worry about him anymore. You're not. He's probably going to come into work two days a month for the next year before the uh, the deal goes uh, through. He's maybe. going to probably have barely anything to do with it. They'll be fl- they'll be flying Microsoft people in to sort of sort everything out. Forget about Big Bob. Let him go and uh, I don't know, live on a beach somewhere and <laughs> do whatever he's going to do. Don't worry about him. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, do you know what, Jody? I wasn't going to. <laughs> um. So yeah, do you know what? We should stop worrying about him as well. He's he's yeah. uh he can he can sod off and go and do more movies if he wants. <laughs> if anyone will have him. Moneyball two, anyone? Moneyball two. Um, but as you as we sort of talked about earlier, the exclusivity question, I think, yeah. is the most is one of the most interesting. Because as we've said, they've already confirmed that they will honor their existing um uh contracts. So the games that are gonna be coming out to PlayStation and things, they've said that Call of Duty will remain on the PlayStation, but it definitely yeah, adds an interesting air for the future because you've got to imagine Xbox aren't just going to keep pumping everything out to PlayStation. They're going to be able to pull all those levers, control everything. And a lot of contracts these days are going to, you know, they're quite short-lived. Like if you think about the fact the contracts are signed when the game's being made, when the games come out, it's kind of almost the end of the conversation. So if you're looking at Activision Blizzard games in the future... Microsoft can do whatever the hell they want with them past like 2023. Oh, totally. And do, do you mind for a second if I quickly like do the direct quotes that have come out in the last 40 hours? No, to, just, like, yeah, go for it. Because it's interesting to see how vague they appear to be at certain points and whether or not people have different interpretations of them. Because the initial comment um, that Spencer made when the acquisition was announced was, quote, Activision Blizzard games are enjoyed on a variety of platforms and we plan to continue to support those communities moving forward. Sony then made a statement via the Wall Street Press saying, quote, we expect that Microsoft will abide by contractual agreements and continue to ensure Activision games are multi-platform. And then Spencer went on Twitter earlier today to respond saying that Xbox intends to, quote, honor all existing agreements and more specifically, quote, keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. And you and I were joking about um, this before we started recording where, even what seems like the most direct statement of all of those quotes, the uh, plan to, or the intent to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation can mean so many different things. 
like if Warzone remains on PlayStation, is that keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation? You know, that yeah. you can read between the lines on this in a lot of different ways. And I don't, I, and I don't know. We, yeah. Well, you've already, you've already made like you made an important point earlier, which was when Microsoft are pulling the levers of control with Activision Blizzard, let's say that they do turn around. They say to Triarch, they say to Sledgehammer Games, Hey guys, why don't you take a year off? Hey guys, why don't you not worry about it? You know, we, we'll come back to it. We'll revisit in two years time and we'll, um, we'll, we'll put a pin in the sort of annualization stuff um, for the time being. That's going to have massive knock-ons for uh, Sony, for PlayStation, and you're still honouring contractual obligations. You're still mm-hmm. Call of Duty. You can still say that. Oh yeah, but next time it comes around, Call of Duty will be on the PlayStation. But even like pausing it for a year, or you know the way they do the releases, the way they handle releases, timed exclusives, when certain things come to certain platforms, like you said, it's so ambiguous the way they've said Call of Duty will remain on PlayStation. It leaves them so yeah. many options. It's it's definitely interesting. Especially like we have the benefit now of being able to see what Xbox have chosen to do or what they appear to be choosing to do actively in the case of their acquisition of Bethesda, right? And right. in that case, I can't remember where the figure came from, but I remember at some point hearing that the figure that Microsoft were looking at in terms of a loss of revenue as a result of games like uh, Starfield later this year and in the future a new Elder Scrolls a new Fallout uh, whatever the case may be and so on and so forth ad infinitum uh, not arriving on PlayStation was akin in the immediate sense to around $500 million right. that was $500 million that Microsoft were willing to essentially forego as a means of okay let's look at it less as lost revenue on potential uh, you know PlayStation sales and more as uh, marketing or promotional expenditure on the on Game Pass. Yep. I think when they've said that they're willing to do that much, it suggests that they're in a powerful position to do this with as many things as they want to when it comes to Activision and Blizzard's properties. And I think it's just going to be a case of Xbox evaluating on a case-by-case basis uh, what makes sense for cross-platform and what doesn't. Um, obviously, uh, PlayStation seem very intent on making sure everyone know that there are uh, existing agreements in place, and like you said, we don't know what that means. And hey, even if there weren't existing agreements in place, maybe there's a part of Xbox that like looks at the whole thing and is like, actually, do you know what? Call of Duty on PlayStation continues to make sense. I think a more direct example I can give is if I look at Blizzard. I think Diablo Four makes perfect sense as an exclusive title. Diablo Four's got Game Pass written all over it. I think you know, so much time has passed since Diablo 3. It feels weird to say that, but it's kind of true that, like, I think introducing players to Diablo and a potentially, you know, new and and, and fresh and exciting Diablo, certainly a very pristine and, and sharp-looking Diablo game for the first time, makes sense. I think keeping that as a big exclusive because it would be a big tempo release makes sense. On the flip side, Overwatch 2, is Overwatch 2 a big revenue generator? Yes, in the long term, because obviously it sells millions and millions of copies, but from what I remember, like, Overwatch is not a full-price title, I think the PS4 right. version launched at around 20 or 30 pounds. Maybe that's something where they say actually because of, you know, the state of uh, Overwatch, the anticipation or the hype for Overwatch 2 or lack thereof, um the advancements in crossplay and the fact that, you know, that that's at the place where it is, maybe Overwatch 2 is a game that actually benefits from just having as many players as possible and then like maybe you end up in a situation where Overwatch is free on Xbox and PC via Game Pass, but it's on PlayStation for 20 pounds. You know, 
Right. And it's like, then we get revenue and we get players, and that's a game that makes sense to have a populated player base because it benefits us and everyone. And then if there are microtransactions and so on and so forth, that's still our money because, hey, it's a Microsoft-published game on a PlayStation platform, which sounds crazy to say out loud, but, like, it, it, that's the reality. I think you're bang on. Uh, it, it, to me, it completely makes sense that you keep, uh, as Xbox or Game Pass, whatever exclusives, um, things that make sense. So, um, you know, single-player, multiplayer games that kind of are a contained environment whereby you can say, you buy this, you play this with us, and you you have it on your uh, Xbox, on your PC, whatever, with Game Pass, or you buy it for your Xbox. But when it comes to the um, the games that generate a shitload of money through the um, like online markets and stuff, like your um, uh, battle passes for Warzone, or like if you're going to buy crate skins or whatever it is for a game like overwatch it seems to make sense to make those cross plays still put them through the playstation yeah because like you said you want that player base to be as big as possible but you do get to a strange situation and i i could see this happening and it doesn't fall foul of them saying we'll keep call of duty on um uh you know on playstation is that they start to say things like okay we're having a new Call of Duty game coming out, this new um, like modulized version of Call of Duty whereby it's, you know, you've got the multiplayer, you've got the single player and you've got the, and you've got Warzone and you've got zombies are all individual elements. So do you know right. what? You can get Warzone and you can get multiplayer on the PlayStation, mm-hmm. but you can only get the single player campaign and you can only get zombies on the Xbox. Yeah, maybe. Which would be really weird, but I could absolutely see them if they decided to, I could see them going that kind of route because they're like, do you know what? Whilst they fall under the umbrella of Call of Duty, they're mo- it's a modulized game where you don't have to have every module of that game on every platform. And it doesn't really make any sense for us to give you the Call of Duty campaign on the PlayStation when you, hey, just get it on Game Pass. Game Pass is a completely affordable thing. You can have it on PC, yeah. you can have it on your Xbox. And like, um, and which, is weird, which would be weird. That would be weird, but I could see it happening. It would be weird, but like again, the other the other door that keeps open, if we you know uh, looked at the scenario that you just created there, is that you can still charge people for thing for products on a PlayStation that in theory they're not being charged for on the Xbox, and then you end up in this weird situation where like uh, we have like a, a WhatsApp group with a few different people in it, and when we were discussing this deal, it was Martin Ruffle from Just Interesting that was like. I think I need an Xbox in, in some form. Uh, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, let's take a situation where let's say, and this is not going to happen, but let's say for the sake of argument, Microsoft kept everything cross-platform that Activision and Blizzard would have kept cross-platform. So Overwatch is cross-platform, uh, Diablo is cross-platform, Call of Duty remains cross-platform, and so on and so forth. And then you you end up in a situation where if you take someone like Martin or like, like in someone in that position who just owns a PlayStation and they look at their calendar and they're like, okay, this year I want to buy Diablo 4, I want to buy the new Call of Duty, I want, uh, it just so happens that Elder Scrolls 6 is coming out this year, I want what Arcane are making, I want the new Doom, I want, uh, I want that Indiana Jones game, I want, uh, and all of a sudden, how many games are there that you need to want that are full price on a PlayStation before you say to yourself, hang on a second, I'm spending the same amount of game on games on my PlayStation as it would cost to buy a Series X or a Series S and a subscription. You know, a Series S and a subscription, I don't know how much is that. What's, what, how much is a Series S? $250? Uh, it's, uh, yes, I believe it's $250. Like, games are £70 now. You only need to want to buy four games full price before it's cheaper to get a Series S. That's and buy and get them all so through crazy. Game Pass. 
And like, so the more... 250, yeah. Yeah, and like, again, I don't think that's going to be as much of a talking point because I think a lot of these games will just end up being completely exclusive. But that is that is something that people are going to end up thinking about. And I was talking to some, some friends of mine the other day in um, the group of people I play kind of Warzone and Call of Duty with because obviously they're very interested in what's going to happen with all of this. And I was saying to them, like, you don't need an Xbox to play some of these games and that's going to become more and more the case in the future. Like, right now you need an Xbox or a PC, but like... You could, you might be able to play like a Call of Duty game in your browser via XCloud at some point in the future. You kind of can already, in a weird way, in a weird sort of like battery testy way. But like, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much. Like, you're gonna have options. There's a straight. It does feel like we've often said that uh, you know Xbox are winning the war, even if they don't win the battles. Because it feels like they're playing the long game, they're playing the bigger game. And we've been saying for a couple of years now, it feels like PlayStation nail something or they do a really good, um, uh, you know, like um, PlayStation, what, what do they call them? PlayStation Showcase or whatever. State of play. State of play, thank you. And they'll say, you'll have an amazing state of play and you'll say, oh, look at these amazing games that are coming out. And then Xbox don't seem to do the same or don't seem to go as big, but then you constantly hear little things about Xbox throughout the entire year where you're like, Damn, they seem to be like winning the war because they they seem to make a lot more smart, small decisions and big decisions as well. And this does feel like they've managed to position themselves. It's like chess, right? Microsoft have managed to get to a position whereby uh, Game Pass is, ubi- is becoming ubiquitous. You've got like 25 million people who have Game Pass at the moment, which is a big thing. Um, you then get them snatching up more and more studios, you know, and putting them under their umbrella. Mm-hmm. maybe positioning PlayStation further and further on the outside, which gets more and more people buying Game Pass. And you're going to get to the point where the question isn't like, are you Xbox, are you PlayStation, or are you PC? Xbox and PC become synonymous because that's what Game Pass is on. So then you effectively have it's PlayStation versus uh, PC and Xbox, which becomes a bit of a non-argument, right? Mm. Um And then you get to the weird position, which we were saying before the pod is, in my mind, you get Sony have to sort of realize that they're becoming more and more of a nintendo and that they have to really sort of hone in and focus in on what they do well and almost voluntarily shrink a bit and just focus on super amazing first party titles vr like you know the vr2 is coming out hopefully end of this year um amazing controllers new tech like uh, peripherals that you can't get third party stuff like on pc or with xbox or anything like that but it kind of does mean that they're gradually shrinking more and more and more and become more of a niche product. Potentially. Potentially. It's been interesting to watch the kind of the uh the market react to this news. I think uh Sony contractual uh, Sony, yeah. Yeah, dropped thirteen percent, represented about twenty mm. million twenty billion dollars. Um I'm so uh, glad I sold my Sony stock last year. <laughs> I only had about hundred quid's worth, but well, it would have been would have been worth thirteen percent less. So <laughs> there you go. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it, it, you know it's going to be interesting um, because you're right. I, I think you're looking at it the right way, and I agree with you in terms of like it's not about knee jerk reactions from Sony, but maybe it is about you know long term positioning um, and how you kind of frame the argument around the console you're trying to sell and the ecosystem you're trying to build out. I think there's going to be for as much as this has generated a lot of discussion, and for as much as you know, Sony stock has taken a hit as we've just said, and Sony have made comments that seem like hey we. Call of Duty is they're still coming to PlayStation. I still think that there are going to be a lot of people, especially in the upper echelons of Sony and the people who call the shots over there, who aren't going to be too phased by something like this. 
they're going to sit there and say, hey, do you know what? Like, what we do well and our plan for the future isn't changed that much, even if we lose a couple of extra third-party titles uh, each year along the way. And and so far, it's been about you know creating a high-quality console experience, a desirable console experience, creating the most popular ecosystem, even though it's not necessarily supported by the best services, and extremely high-quality first-party titles that are capable of selling, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 million units at full price, which is an extremely powerful thing. Um, it's been Again, it was interesting talking to a group of friends this week about all of this. The PlayStation brand is still extremely strong. The Xbox brand still, for as much hard work as they've done and for as much as people like you and I acknowledge how much they've come on, still doesn't hold the same weight as the PlayStation brand along, amongst uh, a, a lot of gamers. Um, and so I don't think they'll be too worried, but yeah. In the, in the long term, especially if Microsoft continue to pull off crazy moves like this and continue to take third-party titles, and in some cases massive third-party titles like Call of Duty, off the plates of PlayStation gamers, then they might have to look at themselves a little bit harder and say, actually, yeah, we will have to become almost a bit more of a boutique console and be like, oh, well, you know, it's still the only place you're going to play God of War Ragnarok, and God of War Ragnarok is going to have a 96 on Metacritic, and it's going to be one of, if not the best game of the year, and it's going to get talked about in the best game of the generation debates and like you want you hey you want to play it we don't have fucking game pass you can't play this <laughs> shit on pc for another two years you want it buy a fucking playstation and so far the response is that in lots of people to the tune of tens of millions will go okay yeah i'll buy a playstation when they hear that you and i amongst them um chris amongst them now as well even so they're not going to be worried but it does it's going to be interesting to see how this shit um changes over the course of a decade because these you you know you made the reference there to battles and wars right and that's the the, you know, the classic argument and these things unfold very slowly and yet when you take stock of the situation you realize just how much they've changed um in, like can i throw out a weird anecdote yeah you go for uh, it. i promise I'll, I'll keep it snappy because i know i've been talking for a long time but i'm sad enough that i like to go back and watch old e3 press conferences <laughs> right. um and I've been doing that in the last couple of weeks, and I was doing it even before the acquisition. It was just something I was doing for fun. And it's fascinating going back to watch uh, Microsoft's press conferences at E3, especially around 2015, where Don Matrick and the whole idea of having the Xbox One as the center of the living room and an entertainment device had been completely flushed. They knew the focus had to be on games, and they were working really hard to build up their portfolio of first-party titles, but also exclusive third-party titles and they were struggling and 2015 is the year where clearly some creative individual at microsoft decided that the way they were going to present their big titles their big games for their platform that year because all the focus had to be on games was they were going to use big heads like they were going to use the heads the literal faces and the profiles of major characters from within the right. xbox ecosystem and they were going to kind of like swivel around and the background would change to represent the game they're from and they did it. And the heads they chose were Marcus Phoenix, not because yep. of Gears of War 4, but because they were in the process of remastering the first Gears of War. Oh, right, okay. They chose one of the characters, but not Master Chief, from Gears of War, from Halo 5, excuse me, Halo 5 Guardians. I think it was called Spartan Lock. They chose yep. Lara Croft because they had just paid way too much for timed exclusivity for Rise of the Tomb Raider in a deal that most people shrugged their shoulders at. It was a face that I didn't recognize at all, but it turned out to be one of the then-playable characters from the soon-to-be-canceled free-to-play Fable game called Fable Legends. 
and then Master Chief, another character from Halo 5 Guardians. So there was Phil standing on stage. This was seven years ago, six and a half years ago, saying, like, we promise we're making games for the Xbox. And he had two Halo 5 characters, timed exclusivity from Lara Croft, and a character from a Fable game that was about to get cancelled. And, like, not only has their situation improved leaps and bounds in that six and a half years, but it's also very interesting to see what happened in between the games when you watch the press conference from 2015. Because you could tell they didn't want to put too much emphasis on stuff because right. they, they knew that people wanted to see games, but they needed to do stuff. And that was the year where, you know, they started much more openly talking about PC. In previous years, as weird as it is to think back, there would be a time where if a game was coming to Xbox and PC, you wouldn't mention the PC part. Because right. PC was synonymous with Steam. That's another platform. It's money in someone else's pocket. It doesn't matter. You talk about the Xbox and that's it. Now they're starting to talk about PC. We weren't quite at the kind of like the point where you could buy the game once and own it on both platforms. But that was, as we now know, in development. We talked about um, EA Access. Um, I can't remember who it was, but someone from EA comes out and is like, EA Access is coming on to Xbox. That was them introducing third-party subscription services onto their platform for the first time, and PlayStation wouldn't welcome EA Access onto their platform for a number of years further to that. They show off the Xbox Elite controller for the first time, which, again, like, I'm not a great example of what I'm talking about, but, like, and th and then they also introduce backwards compatibility. And it's like, okay, right? they had those shit games, but this was also <laughs> Microsoft at a very interesting point of realizing, like you said, there are more battles to be won than just games. And I know yeah. people love to come to E3 and talk about games and see games, but clearly we can start to build an infrastructure around the Xbox ecosystem that in the long run will start to pay dividends when people say, what does this have to offer for me beyond the games itself? And now they're not just delivering on that because we talked about their services and their products and their hardware and to no end, they're also delivering on the game side of things where they're slowly but surely building up a stable of first-party titles through either you know long-term first-party studios that they've owned to these newly acquired ones that not just like outweighs Sony in terms of the the, the you know the scope of them, the volume, but also the scale and eventually maybe even the quality. And when we get to that point, that's how much things have changed in the last six and a half years. Another six, seven years, another generation's time. Who knows which direction the pendulum can swing? What I'm trying to say is, Jonesy, Nintendo are going to win the next generation. <laughs> Maybe Nintendo are going to come out with like the, the most technology, technologically advanced console you've ever seen. It's going to blow everything out of the water. Yeah. But so I, do you know what I think the play for Sony, for, for Sony is? Because... So I, you know, I'm I'm overstating it when I say that I think that they're going to like shrink and they're going to have to focus. On, I'm I'm purposefully overstating because I'm saying that's the direction I think they could end up going in. Right? If they if they don't sort of maybe make some moves in order to try and combat the growth of of Microsoft because they're obviously so much smaller than Microsoft anyway um, as a company, but mm. they're not when it comes to um, the share the the console share. But right. one thing I do think Sony could do or PlayStation could do that would make a big difference and well not a big difference but would massively shore up uh their first party offerings which i could see happening is sony go out and rather than do a microsoft which mm -hmm. is kind of buy everything right they're buying everything up with the hope that um they own enough they own so much of everything that people are like well they own the studio that i like to play most so they yeah. they're buying all the players by kind of buying everything around it and then de facto sucking in most of the players whereas i think what playstation and what sony do is they have such good first party games and this is what they've really cultivated that they're games that you have to play you yeah. really you you totally. hate to miss out on so what i think um sony might do 
is they might turn around and say, do you know what? We need to add another super high-end IP or uh, or studio to our roster of first-party titles in order to double down. So rather than do the Microsoft thing of buying loads of companies, loads of um, publishers, loads of uh, sort of studios, whatever, they go and they buy insanely high-end. That's why I think it would not be that surprising if they went and they tried to buy Rockstar from uh, underneath. Oh, uh, God. Take two. From take two. I mean, imagine, like, again, Chris and I talking last week about crazy shit, like, that would be crazy. Um, I could just sit, imagine Red Dead Redemption, Grand Theft Auto are added to the roster of PlayStation only, first party. This is not coming to Xbox. This is not coming to PC. If you want to play those games, you need to have a PlayStation. I just feel like that would, when you you put those games, like you just said, the heads that Microsoft had, like, oh, you know, who would you put up? They still have that problem today. Like they still have the problem of first party games, what big bobbleheads would, would Microsoft put up? Absolutely. In years to come from now, like three years down the line, four years down the line, you could say, oh, look at all the companies they own. Look at Bethesda, look at Blizzard, look at Activision. They can now start to fill out those bobbleheads with some more impressive characters. But being the size they are, if Sony went and bought Rockstar, imagine they could have Red Red, Red Dead Redemption head, Grand Theft Auto head. Then they've got um, Kratos. Then they've got Ratchet and Clank. Then they've got Spider-Man. Then they've got, um, oh, geez, I think Ghost of Tsushima. Then they've got like all horizon horizon they've got they they are beating my uh microsoft at the the first party game side of it owning a, yeah. like a fraction of the studios <laughs> it's true and i suppose I, like, they should do it if you're watching no. right now playstation sony someone high up go and buy um go and buy rockstar <laughs> it, it's a very important asterisk to add to all of this which is that for as much as xbox had a strong 2021 thanks to you know, I think like games like Forza Horizon Five and and Halo Infinite and and Psychonauts Two and to a lesser extent titles like Age of Empires and stuff like coming on strong. There is still an ele- an element of like, yeah, you also need to start taking all the things you're buying and turning them into legitimately critically acclaimed games in the same way that all the Sony franchises you just mentioned have. And like, yeah, like Halo was Halo and Forza was Forza. Yeah, I give them props for things like Psychonauts Two, but you. You need to psychonauts toify everything else you're buying as well, and also hope that some of them go on to be, you know, God of War and 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 Spider Man star successes too. Um, one of can the problems is, that? We'll see. and one of the problems with with like covering all your bases, you know, like Microsoft are trying to buy up everyone and, and get you know have a, not everyone, but buy up a lot of these big companies and and pump out a lot of these high end games. Do you think they also take the hit? So if if you do get shit games put out by these companies, Microsoft also potentially are they going to be the ones to take the rap for it? So even though you could say, oh, do you know what? It wasn't us. It was us. It was Bethesda. What if what if well, a Starfield fails? What if it comes out and is like mediocre and people say, I can't believe we waited so long for this th- damn game. It's shite. <laughs> like, I think I think the they'll, I think they'll be under scrutiny because especially in the case of something like Starfield, because that was a recent acquisition, and because like. The Bethesda, the Bethesda acquisition and the adding of the Bethesda studios and franchises into the Xbox family has been so publicized that it will reflect on Microsoft. But then again, you look at Sony, and every time they have had a misfire, they have done a very good job of like sweeping it under the rug or making the developers look like the stupid ones. And when you look right. at the... like, It's not a great example, because I know there's a lot of support out there for, for Sony Bend, and there were a lot of people who loved Days Gone. But like Sony tried really hard... To make it clear that like 
oh yeah, the developers of Days Gone fucked up. Like not nothing. Hey, if like if Naughty Dog and 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 Sony Santa Monica and Gorilla can do their jobs, then Ben could have as well. They just didn't because they're fuck ups and we're fine. Yeah. Um, you know, they did it as well. Like to a lesser extent, I still remember like it was one of the talking points. Do you remember with No Man's Sky? When No Man's Sky completely like uh, was was in big trouble out of the gate, and mm-hmm. Sony, who had been like so there for them that whole time, to the point where they almost felt like they were treating them as first party, and the second No Man's Sky came out and was what it was, Sony were like, "Those guys are fucking crazy." That game was way <laughs> too ambitious. I don't know what they were thinking. So, like, motherfucker, you put them like <laughs> yeah. on your stage for like five years in a row and gave them massive time slots to do massive demos. You were eating up every bit of publicity that game bought you, and the second it flopped, you distanced yourself. Although, although I will say, time has time has proven that um, Hello Games were a good yeah. company to stand behind the, because they still support that game to this day and still pump out new stuff for it, and they are. The, ult- the ultimate middle finger is No Man's Sky 2, uh, Microsoft ex- platform exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it makes it, this makes it more interesting as well, actually, if you talk about, uh, if you think about um, uh, Kojima was obviously supposedly in talks with Microsoft at some yeah. point in the not too distant past. And then you look at like Death Stranding and stuff. If Microsoft go and buy Kojima Productions, uh, that would be quite a bloody <laughs> thing, wouldn't it? As well, That would, that would I, also be very cool. Maybe not the best time for them to do it at the moment. Maybe uh, Kojima needs to put out another game and uh, get some love back on his side um, before they do that. But Maybe. It would, it would be a hell of a story. Yeah. And, like, what, there's another question then, because I was just reminded you talking about Kojima getting some love back, and I was reminded of, you know, previous uh, Kojima franchises and then Konami as a name still in the mix and no one being quite sure what they're pl- got planning on doing in the gaming sphere you know, when they're not making pachinko machines. And I guess I'll, I'll spin that out into a question. Like, beyond, obviously, you've said that, you know, part of your plan would be to go at Take Two and try and somehow buy Rockstar and the Rockstar franchise. Money, mate, that's how, not somehow, money. If if I said you could also do one more thing, like one more major publisher or studio or franchise acquisition, like we've talked a little bit here and there about, you know, Ubisoft and we just mentioned Konami and stuff, like what would you target? Where do you think... The money is where do you think the goodwill is which do you value more we've already thrown their name about mm-hmm. i think and, and i know at the moment they're a bit you know hit and miss and they're a little bit you know maybe lukewarm is a good way to put it i think if sony bought ubisoft right um which would be massively affordable when you're considering that it's a tenth <laughs> of the size of the acquisition that um microsoft have just done uh, mm-hmm. For, for sheer like name power, if you want to say like Rockstar would be the best thing you could you could buy because you're gonna as soon as you got Grand Theft Auto, as soon as you got Red Dead, like I think you're laughing. Even even like to a lesser extent, like Bully and things like that. If you really wanted to put out another Bully game, you could obviously could do that. But if you've got Assassin's Creed, if you've got Far Cry, if you've got um entire Tom Clancy stable, if you've got um like uh the Division, if you've got all of these names that have even if they're not like you know splinter cell things like that even if you even if they're not uh in the best place they've ever been at the moment they are still some epic names in oh, gaming yeah and when you when you can when you sort of take because if you said like microsoft have bought ubisoft i would think ubisoft are going to just keep doing what ubisoft do microsoft are going to have a little bit more sway maybe going to say to them come on guys put a little bit more time into the games <laughs> like maybe maybe spend a little bit longer to sort of put a bit more polish on them 
I would love to see what Sony did if they had more of an influence over Ubisoft. You would see like an Assassin's Creed game that you haven't seen since seen since like Assassin's Creed Two. Like, yeah, very I possibly. think that's an exciting prospect. So for me, it would it would it would probably be that. It would be probably be Ubisoft. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting because like you make a fascinating example there when you talk about Ubisoft's catalog and the franchises that you'd welcome into your own portfolio should you acquire them. Uh, for a small fee relative to the amount that Microsoft paid for Activision Blizzard. <laughs> small fee, yeah. And then like you think about Activision Blizzard being worth $69 billion. There is a little bit, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, I'm not saying trying to draw into question the amount that Microsoft paid, but like there's a bit of a thing where you're like, people go, the, the uh, publishers behind Call of Duty, Overwatch, uh, Diablo, and and Candy Crush, and you're like, oh yeah, like cool, what else do they get? And then, and then you read it, it's like, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Tony Hawk, and you start to realize, like, Activision under Bobby Kotick, ironically, did such a good job of running those franchises into the ground and eventually <laughs> killing them that there is a little bit of that Activision back catalog effect that you look at and you're like, hang on a second, this is what they paid $70 billion what, what did they for? buy? And then you realize that basically it's Call of Duty. <laughs> that's yeah, the thing exactly. Um, and I think that's where it gets interesting. Like one of the things that we talked about before is the potential for like, can you get Konami one way or another to part ways with some of their video game IPs? Um, like not, if not outright, you know, you let them still make pachinko machines out of them, but at least the rights to make video games out of them. In which case, can you get like some cut price deal and all of a sudden, you know, Metal Gear, Castlevania, Contra and Silent Hill, you have like just taken those four there, like four Big franchises, four franchises that gamers are hungry for more of. In the case of games like in the case of like Metal Gear and Silent Hill, especially that you could do theoretically whatever you want with, and like for I don't even know how much that would cost, but not very much. And then you look at like like I I I, put, I went fishing for some other Activision titles that were maybe lesser known, and it's like Gun Prototype. Oh, Gun was great. Prototype Gun. was good as well. Singularity, True Crime, right. Metal Arms. DJ Hero, Zork, Pitfall, Pitfall, old school, and it's like these. The, those are cool names to say again, but like a new true crime. Well, I, I, I say a new true crime doesn't well sell as well as a new Silent Hill. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a new <laughs> true crime sells amazingly, and a new a new prototype probably would be pretty fucking sick. But with with the uh, the graphics of these days, prototype would be. Go on then, like, and not not to divert the conversation, but just a little quick side note. Which, if you have infinite budget, Microsoft hires you to take a dormant Activision IP, uh, and will include like Tony Hawk and Crash and Spyro in this, even though they've popped up in the last handful of years. So anything that's not Call of Duty, you get unlimited budget to bring it back for the next generation. Because I've got to say, like, the prospect of making a next gen prototype three gets me rock hard. That and Guitar Hero. Oh, Guitar Hero. I, I, I just love Guitar Hero. And it, it, it's, it Mike pains Microsoft's own it now. It pains me when you can't go and just play a Guitar Hero game. Like, that, the, I think the model of those games was what killed it. But they, yes. they are so far. Like, literally used to sit in a, in a room with four other people just playing Guitar Hero, like, for hours on end. And it was so much fun. Like I I miss those days. I if they could bring that back, that'd be great. I wouldn't want to spend all my money doing that. Yeah, um, but I don't even know. Like this is the thing. There aren't that many. There aren't that many games that I'm like, oh, do you know what? They really need to bring. You that would, back. you you wouldn't make a gun too and try and make your like a rival to Red Dead Redemption. 
I see. I I love the gun games, but yeah, the, I've got no desire to go and. I, I don't think I'd try and do that. I don't think it would be something that I feel needs to happen. Yeah, if you want to play a good, you know, modern Western, play Red Dead Redemption Two. You're fine. I tell you, I I suddenly though, as you were talking about Kojima and Konami, I did have a bit of a uh, a pro tip, pro level move for Sony, mm. and this is something I have not considered before. Now, Sony buy Kojima Productions. I know they helped set it up, like there was a lot of Sony money in there, but they out they actually buy it, right? Then they go and buy, like you said, the IP for Metal Gear Solid. Yep. Then they give Metal Gear Solid to Kojima Productions. I mean And get Kojima to make a new Metal Gear Solid game. Stuff like this seems like like again, when when and when any one company is willing to spend sixty nine billion dollars on another, <laughs> like all of this stuff all becomes frustratingly plausible. I know yeah, Konami it does. Um, Konami it's numbers have, on paper. Exactly. Like I'm pretty sure at this point Konami do have their own plans for stuff. Like there was that rumored uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater remake, right? Um, from that we talked about at some point last year. And obviously, Silent Hill rumors are always a dime a dozen. And I, I do genuinely believe that Silent Hill is one of those uh, no smoke without fire situations. But like, you could do something cool there. You could do something cool. Well, I, don't know. I, I, like, yeah, this is, I, don't know. I think this is the problem that it's too wide. Like you said, it's too wide open. There's too much money on the table. And when you're just writing silly numbers down, I mean, you can, people just, you know, they're just going to say, it just, it just becomes too businessy. It, you lose any loyalty. You knew any, any sort of like IP, uh, like ownership. It just becomes ridiculous when you're talking so much money. I think it, yeah. it does become anything can happen. Like N- Nintendo could buy Sega and like start putting Sonic oh, games totally. on, the, on the Switch. It just becomes like, what is the world we're living in? You know, cats and dogs living together. Total anarchy. Yeah. And like, who knows, we could be back here in six months' time when antitrust regulators have shot down Microsoft's <laughs> attempt to buy Activision Blizzard. The whole deal is scrapped. Everything's gone back to normal. And then we're just, you know, all of this conversation becomes redundant anyway. Yeah. I think the only thing that could top it now is if if in a month or so Microsoft also announced that they're buying EA, like it would just be, you know, I mean, it would be the end. And, th- and FIFA is no longer going to be on the PlayStation. That 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 is when I think someone would have to step in and be like, I don't know what you're cooking up, Phil, but it smells like a monopoly to me. Yeah, literally, it's just a monopoly. They're, that's all they're trying to do. They're actually trying to build a monopoly and they just put grease yeah. a few palms in you know, governments and things and then get away with it. it. Uh, do governments, this might be a stupid question. Obviously, there's very, like there's reasons why you try and avoid a monopoly. But if what seems like it, is it is, is a duopoly a word when there's two companies? Uh, and like, if the video game um, like industry yeah, was is, heading towards a duopoly, and like we we joked before we started recording about like a, a video game Cold War, like an arms race where Sony and Microsoft were just taking it in turns acquiring the biggest publishers and the biggest IPs in the world until basically every major third-party franchise was then owned by either Sony or Microsoft and made exclusive to their platforms. Is that something that like antitrust regulators and 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 so on and so forth like try to avoid? Is that I think that's biggest, also like, negative for the consumer in the long run. I don't know. Well, I think the biggest problem when you get like a, a duopoly is not the is not like a cold war between the companies. It's like price fixing. So when you've only got a few big players in the market. Um, you effectively have a, you can have a situation obviously uh, where they get together behind the scenes and they agree that they're going to um, make certain moves to screw the customer over. And then, like for example, if they both said we're going to put our games up to 120 quid a pop, but they both do it, 
you've got no choice. Right. Like you've got, no, and they can just freeze out any small player who tries to get into the market. So yeah, I think that's yeah. more of the problem when you've only got a couple of um, big boys sitting right at the top. Um, so yeah, but no, I've got no idea. I don't know enough about it like, like, to say what would be the good and the bad. But. I've, I've already found Jason Trier five hours ago quote tweeting a guy called um, uh, 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 Jerry Nadler who represents oh. parts of Manhattan and Brooklyn, proud to serve yeah, as the chair of the House Judiciary. So he is um, oh, right, right, right. a member of Congress who said Activision Blizzard, already a gaming giant, has a pattern of bullying workers to evade accountability for rampant sexual misconduct. I expect this deal to be closely scrutinized to ensure that it won't harm American workers or competition. So we do already right. have, on social media at least, members of Congress uh, calling for the scrutinization of this deal. Whether or not that means anything, obviously it should be scrutinized. Uh, that's what these um, these rules and regulations and and regulatory groups are there for. Um, but yeah, well, we'll I, I must admit, I'm not sure how how I don't know how they decide this the market that they're looking at, right? Because obviously Microsoft, an American company, have bought Activision Blizzard, an American company, but then Sony are obviously not an American company. So then, how I'm not sure how that comes into it because then does that mean? They actually say, "Well, we're not really bothered about other countries. You've just become." I think it an, becomes like a global American thing, monopoly. right? Because, like, uh, e- the, like even so. even I think in the uh, Bethesda thing, uh, there were EU regulators that had to sign off on it. Oh, I see. Maybe it's if any country that your business spans, maybe like maybe yeah. they've, they've all got studios and buildings and offices all over the world, haven't they? Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure this story will keep on giving for the next week or so, and we'll find out some more juicy details uh, more interesting facts that come out we'll probably find out that uh, Bobby Kotick has already moved to an island somewhere and is living it up and topping up his tan yeah. with um, his 300 and or 250 trillion dollar payout he's, he's uh, getting all of a sudden he's become really keen on remote working and uh, yeah he just wants to do everything via zoom now we uh, can't figure out why but it might be something to do with the beach that's now in the background of his webcam yeah, the only person who's got a beach in the background of the webcam where it's not one of those like crappy <laughs> it's, overlays. It's, it's an not actual a green beach. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, well, all that remains to say is thank you, Jamie, so much for joining me. Yeah, um, thank you. For this episode of the uh, Super Show podcast, episode number 106. Don't you know? How the hell have we done that many? Um, if you've been with us from the beginning, if you've only just started following us recently, or if this is indeed your first one, then we are very glad to have you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. You can uh, reach out to us. You can have a chat to us on YouTube or Twitter at Super Show Pod. We are on podcasting platforms if you happen to be watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on a podcasting platform, you can also watch us do it in video on YouTube. PaisleyRadio.com, Mondays, Thursdays, 10 p.m. Uh, and with that having been said, Jamie, we just need a tasty code. Oh, shit. So people I've... who've made it this far, no. Do you, do you know what? I, it's been so long since I've th- uh, had to think of a code word that you've just made me realise I'm pretty sure we didn't do one last week. Oh, I, th- I think I, ho- I hosted last week and now I'm 99% sure that I completely forgot to ask for one, which is not good. Shocking. Uh, um, the, w- the week before you had the cool one, which was the time, how long you guys would end up speaking about Metro yeah, Dread. Yeah, yeah. And there will be an element of that again next week when Chris uh, inevitably gets to share his two cents on this entire deal. <laughs> Um, right, talk, yeah, for sure. talk about it. Although, uh, yeah, at the rate that new headlines are uh, and new quotes and factoids are coming out, there probably will be more meat on the bone by the time we get to next week, anyway. So, should we'll we ask see. a question rather than have a code word? Should we ask a question? And the question could be: If you had a billion of Microsoft's money to 
ludicrously sync into one of the uh, older dead Activision Blizzard That's great um, question, IPs. Yeah. What one would you pump that? A billion is a little bit extreme, but let's say a billion. Uh, what would you pump it into to bring it back to life? Do, do you know what no. I think Chris would bring back? Uh, Pitfall. No, I, th- I think Chris would bring back DJ Hero. DJ, I see. I would have said you would bring that DJ Hero. I remember I, I, you're a bit of a fan of DJ Hero. I love. I loved. I played the first DJ Hero. I had the Renegade Edition, right, <laughs> which uh, came with some stupid carrying case that had separate legs on it, so you could play it standing and not have to balance a whole thingy on your lap. Um, I was more of a guitar hero and rock band guy, though. If I'm being honest, I don't know. Yeah, me too. I was. Uh, I I don't really know what DJs do. Don't they just put music on? I don't even um, know if they have to do anything else. If uh, if DJ Hero is anything to go by. You have to push buttons. You occasionally have to hold down those buttons and scratch the record, and that you would like have like a weird like toggle thing where you would flick between like different lanes, and like one would be all of one track, and one would be all of the other track. And if it was in the middle, it was playing them both at the same time. And you also had a button that could play sound effects. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Which I assume nowadays, twenty twenty two times would just be. That horn that goes, would just you just play that every time. <laughs> That's the way to get from one track to another. Just cover it. Yeah, absolutely. Then you switch. The, like I, I know we're ending this podcast, and you've basically already wrapped up. But like, do Blizzard <laughs> own any intellectual property that we've forgotten about? Like, I'm looking at titles like Rock and Roll Racing and The Lost Vikings. But like, is there anything that we've like really forgotten about that needs to come uh... back? Let me have a really quick look. The Death and Return of Superman. They probably don't, well, they can't uh, need the the Superman license for that now. It does seem like, I mean, a lot of it is just um, the Lost Vikings, which they haven't made one of those since 1997, and uh, Rock and Roll Racing, which they made in 1993. Starcraft Um, and Warcraft. Yeah, we we, we mentioned them earlier. There are also things that are very hard to do with. Like, I don't know what the fuck you do with Hearthstone now. I presume it's still going and still active and still somewhat popular. But like, how do you refresh Hearthstone? It's like, it's like they're lucky that World of Warcraft stayed popular and stayed around long enough that they could go back and do classic and stuff like that. Because, I mean, Heroes of the Storm died, didn't it? I know Steph loved it, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he was, he was, he was all about it. I, I can't even. I don't even know, man. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head that Blizzard games like. That. I'm looking at it now, and like, really, basically, the simple answer is that there's not much. Like, it really does seem like it is basically either the <laughs> it's, Lost it's Vikings Overwatch. or Rock and Roll Racing. So I don't even know what the Lost Vikings is, but I'm going to say bring back the Lost Vikings. There you go, the Lost Vikings. <laughs> nice. I'm just going through this now. I'm just trying to see if I can see anything different, but nothing is jumping out at me. But like, oh yeah, yeah. I think it's because we've already found it. I think I think we've peaked with the Lost Vikings. I'm watching a long play of it right now on the on the SNES. And this, like, if ever there were a game that quote unquote needed a remake, as the YouTube comments love to uh, point out, it's the Lost Vikings uh, too. I take I take it back. They made Battle Chess. Yeah, but then they make they turn that into like all Dota is Battle Chess now. Oh yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah, kind of weird thing where they put. Well, that's that's not that's not them, but like, yeah, like battle chess is a thing. Battle battle chess used to be great. I used to love a bit of battle chess back in the day. Um, Why don't you just get really into World of Warcraft, Jonesy? I think that should be your new uh, your new pivot. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I think you should. 
I'll, tr- I'll I'm not. You're probably I'll try you're probably going to get a free membership as a member of uh, Xbox Game Pass as a subscriber of Xbox Game Pass. That's all you need. I think I've tried to play it one time, and no, couldn't do it. Anyway, we've 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 finished this podcast once already. We should definitely finish it properly now. Thank you, everyone. Let us know what uh, franchise of Activision's or Blizzard, if you really like one of those Blizzard ones, that you would bring back if you could pump a billion dollars of Microsoft money into it. Uh, let us know in the comments down below, and we will see you next week for some more Super Show goodness. See ya. Yeah.